Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wisely. In an insane world, listening to Mike and Mike go to the movies is the sanest choice. I'm Mike Smith, and joining me, as always, is a man who can't be bargained with. He can't be reasoned with. He doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear, and he absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. Mike Tricia. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. I was sent from the future uh, to save the podcast from Vin, so I did it. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, we uh, we had like a bonus episode uh, a couple weeks ago where Vin uh, tagged in for you uh, to talk about Zombieland Double Tap, which I assume you still have not seen. No. Nope. <laughs> Fair enough. Did you end up listening to that bonus episode? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I meant to, but I just got got washed away in the uh, the Halloween episode uh, podcast rush of Fair. all my podcasts that I listened Fair to. Fair enough. Now, you've been off the grid for a little while. You went out to a cabin in the woods. You were off the grid like John Connor in Terminator 3, actually. Exactly. Uh, that's exactly <laughs> the, the metaphor we'll go with uh, for today's episode. But yeah, you were in a cabin in the woods for uh, a week or so, uh, hanging out, just watching movies, playing board games. Uh, seemed like a good time. Yeah, I mean, it's living the dream. That's yeah. what everyone, all of us want to do in this hellscape of 2019, I think, is just disappear <laughs> into the woods with your friends and watch movies and drink and play board games. Exactly. But now you are back, and we're excited to have you back on the podcast, Mike. Yes. Uh, I'm excited to be back. Yeah, for, to restore the name. I mean, you can't, call, you can't do a podcast called Mike and Mike Go to the Movies with only one Mike. It just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Mike and Vin doesn't have the same ring. It doesn't have the ring to it. As, as good as as much fun as Vin was uh, on the podcast, yes. and you should go back and listen to that when you get a chance because it is a pretty solid episode. But uh, anyway, we always love having Vin on. Yes, we do. He, he derails the podcast immediately as soon as he shows up. But it's always fun to uh, <laughs> watch him spiral uh, throughout the episode. But anyway, uh, all the theme songs you're going to hear this episode were created by Kyle Cullen, and our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. If you ever want to contact us and respond to something we did in the show, uh, you can email us over at MikeMikeGoToTheMovies at gmail.com. Uh, today, we're going to be doing some discussions before we move on into a retrospective of the Terminator series. And then, of course, we will be diving deep on the latest movie in the series, which ignores every movie that was released after Terminator 2. It's a Terminator Dark Fate, directed by friend of the show, Tim Miller. <laughs> <laughs> that's right which i say I, I say a little bit cheekily because we reviewed deadpool back when the movie came out and you know i we i, I thought you liked deadpool quite a bit i thought it was basically fine i enjoyed it thought ryan Reynolds was funny in it uh but tim miller was the director of that movie and i kind of commented a lot in that review about how lackluster i found the direction of deadpool and for some reason that just became a running joke in the podcast it was like oh yes friend of the show tim miller <laughs> director of deadpool now the director of terminator dark fate uh so we're gonna get to uh what we thought of a uh, friend of the show tim miller's work <laughs> Um, yes. On the new Terminator movie uh, later on in the episode. For now, let's move on into our discussions. Watch this. These are my discussions. Just when I thought I said all I could say, my buddy and I talk about movies we see. These are my discussions. There is so much to see, you and me. So we're going to talk about movies for our discussions. All right, it's time for some uh, discussions here on Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. Mike, you've been gone for a while. What do you have to discuss with us today? We've got a few big things. Okay. Uh, well, actually, just one big thing, uh, which was, uh, it's, you know, 
just past Halloween, and uh, the Alamo Draft House had their annual Dismember the Alamo Horror Movie Marathon uh, this year, and I right. went in Brooklyn, and this year it was only four movies. Normally it's only six, which is uh, interesting. Right, we used to do it in Yonkers uh, over there, right. and uh, that's uh, they didn't have it in Yonkers this year, so you ended up going to Brooklyn, and that's where they did four movies uh, this year. Uh, yeah, which you know, I I have always liked six movies because I'm like, yeah, pack as many movies as you can. But then you te- you text me saying like, you know, four movies is actually like a perfect runtime for this <laughs> this kind of event. It was great. <laughs> yeah, because six movies normally like you have to pick on that movie or right. like, okay, I'm okay with falling asleep in the middle of this movie. Uh, you know, you got to time your beers so you don't get too drunk and don't have to pee all the time. Right. Uh, but four movies like it started at five o'clock and I was home before midnight and like. <laughs> That's that's great. That's man. the dream. I want the, yeah, that's the the other thing. Like they start at noon and you get out at midnight or one o'clock sometimes. Right. Uh, the six movie marathon. So it's great. And they're all you know kind of. Uh, it's presented by the uh, American Genre Film Archive. Uh, so it's all these weird movies you probably would have never heard of. Yeah. Well, almost actually. Um, but uh, the first of which is definitely one of those movies, which I think it was like 1982's. Oh my god. Centipede horror is what it was called. <laughs> centipede horror. Uh yes. unrelated to the human centipede, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Nothing to do with it at all. Okay. This is a uh early eighties Hong Kong horror movie. Uh so that's like this weird um thing where like there's it's like shamans and they they curse somebody uh, I, I don't know it's very bizarre and the plot is really hard to follow and it's hilarious uh, because there's a lot of like exposition and then or, or like it'll be like a flashback and then it'll just cut back to the people in the present day and they'll be like and that's what happened like will be the subtitle <laughs> it's just like silly stuff like that yeah uh and it's yeah so somebody gets cursed with the the centipede curse and it's like the most dangerous poisonous evil curse that the shamans i think i think they call it southeast asia is what they keep saying is where they are <laughs> like they just keep referring to we're in southeast asia uh <laughs> it's very fun right and um they you know, go to investigate. They're, the family of this girl who dies goes to investigate what happened to her, and like uncovers the secret world of like battling shamans and stuff. Uh, so it's weird. It's fun. It was it was disgusting because it's all bugs and shit. <laughs> uh, so like, if you're squeamish, don't. They even actually warned us. It was the first movie, so it was at, like right at five o'clock, and they said, uh, "We know it's dinner time. Do not eat during this movie." <laughs> and because um, you know at the draft house, you can they have a full menu and yes, stuff. Yeah. So. Definitely a uh, good good warning because it was gross. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then the next movie, uh, this movie actually I had heard of, uh, and I remember seeing when I worked at Fye all the time the cover in the horror section. Oh really? And I think it was it's 1998's Cube. Fuck you, Quentin. I don't want to die. I'm just being realistic. You think they'd go to all the trouble to build this thing if we could just walk out? You think they would have left us clues and let us beat it so far if there wasn't a way out? You think we matter or we don't? Put us out of your misery so we can get on with getting out of here. Oh, you're not getting out of here. Yes, we are. No, you're not. Yes, we are! There is no way out of here! Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember you tweeting this, and I was very jealous that you were watching Cube at the Dismarty Yeah. Uh, and this was on 35mm, which is cool. The first movie was not. Okay. Uh, normally, at these these events, they all are 35mm. Uh, but they were... the first, Centipede Horror was like a digital scan from AGFA. Like, they had restored it a little bit. Sure. And, like, it was their thing. And this is a Canadian horror movie about this group of people that wake up in, uh, like, these rooms that have a door in all six sides. You know, the four walls and the ceiling and the floor. Yeah. 
and uh, each one leads to another cube. It's a square room. Each one leads to another square room, and uh, there's traps, and they have to figure out how to get out. It's like kind of proto-Saw, uh, or right. like what the other Saw movies would become. And it's really fucking weird and bizarre, and like that late 90s, like fisheye close-up thing going on in a lot of stuff because <laughs> uh, they want to show you like how square the room is and how tight quarters and of shit course, that uh, makes sense. yeah but all the performances are really over the top and and I, I really liked it i had a blast with this movie uh i don't think it's actually really that good but just like it's a lot of things a lot of movies in this situation where like you're in a theater with people that are here to see movies like sure. this uh stuff gets you know you get a better reaction out of people that Absolutely, way. Absolutely, yeah. I've, I, honestly, I've been meaning to watch Cube for a long time. I never have, but I, it's directed by um, Vincenzo Natale, who uh, went on to direct Splice. Uh, he did the movie, a movie called Haunter with Abigail Breslin, which I really like. Uh, he also worked in Hannibal, a TV show. Uh, so he's been, oh, he's wow. been kind of doing his thing for a while. Um, but yeah, I think Cube was actually his directorial debut. I want to say. Wow. Yeah, I think that it even launched like a franchise. There's like a whole bunch of these. Cube Two, is, Hypercube. Is is the is the name of the sequel yeah that's it. how did you just have that on deck like that that's I, incredible i don't know because <laughs> again i've never seen any of the cube movies i really want to watch <laughs> the first one uh but i just know this i know the title of cube 2 hypercube probably because like it's just it's the word cube is said twice in it so it's just it's yeah. in my head <laughs> yeah i mean it's worth checking out it'd be fun like get a group of friends together and it's like it's kind of violent and stuff and weird right uh it's conspiracy theory shit going on uh so it's fun it's, it's worth it. Drink some beers and watch Cube, I guess, is what I'm saying. Cool beans. The third movie, uh, this was another digital movie, and this movie fucking rocks. Okay. This is, uh, I think it's 1988's Slumber Party Massacre 2. Courtney Bates has got some weird friends. I have got the fastest growing bit I have ever had in my entire life. I mean, look at this thing. I think your sweetheart's been taking too many diet pills. Here's a chicken sandwich if you want to She should have listened to her sister. Don't pick her all the way. Because when she and her band get ready to party. Do anything you want to. Good time on the party weekend. It's more than just a great time. I didn't know girls really did this stuff. It's Slumber Party Massacre 2. Now it's time for the fun part. Okay, now, when we saw... We went to Dismember the Alamo, I think this was 2017. Um, they showed... The last movie they showed was the original Slumber Party Massacre. Uh, yes. And that was one that kind of like blew us both away. Like We were both tired, we were kind of out of it. And then that movie comes on and we were like, Oh, fuck, this movie's awesome. This is so good. <laughs> and I actually ended up buying like that the original Slumber Party Massacre on Blu-ray from Screen Factory and stuff like that when they had one of their sales and stuff. Like I'm a big fan of that original movie. Nice. Have never seen the sequel. And then you tweeted about Slumber Party Massacre 2. And I was like, oh, man. Uh, I wonder how it was. And you tweeted. And then like after it ended, you were like, this might be the best movie ever made. And I was like, what? I <laughs> yes. I don't really understand why it works so well. But I think it's that, that kind of... Uh, you know, it's that late '80s, like uh, end of the slasher craze. I think I think Slumber Party Massacre One came out early '80s. If I remember, I, right. I want to say. Remember. I mean, I don't know exactly. I want to say it was like '82. Yeah. Yeah. So like, kind of like prime '80s slasher, you know, craze sure. um, movie. And this is '88, I think it was. Uh, and it's just a straight spoof. It's a totally different killer. Uh, although it's the exact same thing, <laughs> where it's like the drill. Yeah. All right, because in Slumber Party Massacre One, it's a drill. Except this is a drill at the end of a guitar, 
and the guy is like this rockabilly, like leather jacket <laughs> with the frills, uh, like pompadour, a cigarette hanging out of his lips with the sunglasses on kind of guys. And he's like, hey, baby, hey, and he's doing that whole thing. <laughs> like, it's fucking hilarious. And he's like ripping guitar solos while trying to kill people with a guitar drill. Uh, and it has really nothing to do with it. I think the main character's sister they reference uh, was like one of the survivors of the first movie or one of the victims or something. Yeah. Uh, and like that's the connection other than it's a slumber party and they get killed. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it is a slumber party massacre. Sure. It earns the And title. there's like, m- m- yeah, it's right there. There's multiple like musical breaks, like because they're a group of friends in a band and like they practice in the garage and like we go, we just watch them practice a song <laughs> in the garage. And like it's that is hilarious, like 80s, like, you know, kind of like new wave rock stuff. Sure. Um, yeah, so it was just really fun, and I just had a total fucking blast. It's hilarious. It's very self-aware. Like, you know, it's definitely playing with the slasher tropes right. like, at the end of the 80s and stuff. Uh, and, like, multiple, mul- like, I'm talking multiple <laughs> musical breaks, including the whole, like, climax is, like, the killer singing, like, a song. Really? Uh, like, yeah, it's like a musical. Like, it's like a music video is what the whole climax is. And, like, you know, there's a lot of, like, the, the killer fake-out or... or the killer death fake out thing that happens like, Oh, he's dead finally. And then he sits back up and Oh my God. And like the music just pauses. And then like the, the heroine's like, Oh, whoo, we did it. And then he sits back up and the music just kicks back in and it just keeps going. It's, it's fucking hilarious. That's great. I, I need to watch this movie again is what I'm realizing right now. Nice. I know it's available on shutter. Uh, so definitely get on that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I you, yeah, I'm probably going to check that out as soon as I can. I believe screen factory also has a Blu-ray of this one too. Um, oh yes. So definitely, there is a third one, but I, I don't. I'm nervous about what that could possibly. <laughs> I, be. Be, I believe that's the only other one. I think there's, there's only the, those three. And actually, an interesting note about the Slumber Party Massacre franchise: I believe it's the only major horror franchise in the '80s where every entry is directed by a woman. Uh, yes, which is kind of cool too. A kind of neat detail about it too. So you have that perspective. Like it's the only horror franchise in that era um, that has that perspective, which is kind of unique. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that is pretty cool, and it, like it, it makes the whole like gratuitous nudity, nudity thing like even funnier because it happens in this too, right? Uh, and it's great. Uh, and then the fourth movie was also on thirty five millimeter, which is weird because it's the most recent movie from two thousand one, okay. which is Ernest Dickerson's uh, Bones. Okay, I have not seen this. Yeah, this is another one I remember uh, the cover of at Fye because it's like a solid red cover with like a building on it, and then Snoop Dogg. <laughs> With yellow eyes, uh, like menacingly in the the background, and yeah, this is a story. It's like sort of a black exploitation uh, homage kind of thing, where it takes place in the present day, uh, halfway, and then in the seventies, late seventies, where uh, Snoop Dogg plays this like kind of gangster guy that like ran the neighborhood or ran the street, like the block or whatever, where it takes place and like kept everybody safe, but like you know was dealing drugs and everything. Yes. And he gets murdered, uh, betrayed by some people, and, like, haunts the building that he gets murdered in. And uh, then in the present day, some kids buy the building and want to turn it into a nightclub. And <laughs> it's it's literally, like, the f- horror movie ghost villain is Snoop Dogg. That sounds amazing. And I don't know what more I need to say. Yeah. Pam Greer is in it. Uh, she plays his girlfriend, uh, and she's incredible. Uh, so, like, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. I think Ernest Dickerson is Spike Lee's? Um, cinematographer I, for a lot of movies. I believe you're correct. Yes. Yeah. So it's got that you know that kind of like Spike Lee joint touch, that flair. Okay. Um, yeah, it's really fucking weird. It's it's 2001, so it's like this weird 
kind of hip hop grunge thing <laughs> happening. I don't know. It's bizarre. Uh, and it's cool. It was cool. It's like a little long, I think, but I think it's actually only like 95 minutes, <laughs> yeah. but it feels like maybe because it was the fourth movie in a row, you know, if it was the chopping ball cut, this would be great. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like I say for almost every movie. Yeah. 75 minutes in and out. It's all you need. That's all I need. Uh, yeah, that's that's all. That's Bones, and that was Dismember the Alamo. All right, cool. Let us Dismember the Alamo, and then uh, you had uh, a couple other movies you wanted to uh, throw in there too, right, 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 Mike? Yeah, I'll just run through this real quick. Um, Criterion it had a flash sale a couple weeks ago, sure. Uh, so I picked up some movies. Right now, I think until like uh, December first, there's fifty percent off at Barnes and Nobles for yes. Criterion. Yeah, I, uh, I I had to stop myself from just like impulse buying the uh, Godzilla box set that just came out, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is normally two hundred and twenty five dollars, and now right now it's like one hundred and twelve. Uh, but I, actually, our buddy EJ texted me. Our buddy EJ happens to work at Barnes and Nobles currently, and what? so and so he's getting an employee discount on top of the 50% Criterion discount. Uh, so I think he paid like $70 for the Godzilla box set. Holy and shit. I was, and I, I was like, man, if I if I didn't have to drop a bunch of money on wisdom tooth surgery uh, <laughs> in the next few days, like I would ask you to buy me a copy too. <laughs> yeah, right? Jeez, that's incredible. Yeah, I'm jealous. Yeah. Uh, but so during the flash sale, I went and picked up a bunch of movies and I kind of uh, unintentionally just focused on like crime noir movies. I didn't really even realize it while I was picking them. So I picked up three that I want to highlight that I watched. Um, the first of which is They Live by Night from 1948. Uh, and this is directed by Nicholas Ray, who dele- who went on to direct uh, Rebel Without a Cause right. like, a couple years later. 1955 uh, is, when, is when Rebel Without a Cause came out, yeah. Or something there like you that, go. yeah. And uh, this is very, very similar to Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, it's just kind of just romantic... Uh, like with a capital R uh, kind of thing um, where it's this young kid gets broken out of prison with these two like hardened criminals, like these two hardened bank robbers. And uh, they use him as their driver, like after they've broken out of prison, right. like, you know, like they're kind of taking advantage of this naive kid that got like locked up by accident kind of thing or like forgotten by the system. And he meets uh, a young girl at, that works at a gas station uh, that they like pull into to like hide and, like, they fall in love, the young guy and the young girl fall in love, and it's, like, they're both, like, on the wrong side of the tracks kind of thing, yeah. and it's one of those, like, romantic crime thriller, just, just like, doomed from the start, uh, like, Bonnie and Clyde-style stories, uh, and it's just really fucking good, man. I don't, it was, it's really interesting. I, I watched this one last, um, but it came out first, so I'm gonna, I wanted to mention it first. Gotcha. So it was really interesting to see, like, where that kind of, it's 1948, like, it's kind of right at the start, I think, of the noir, like, post-war noir genre kind of thing yeah and uh it's just like i don't know it's just like wistful like you know what i mean it's one of those kind of movies uh which to compare it to the next movie is asphalt jungle uh from 1950 imagine me on this beach here in my green bathing suit yipe i almost fought a white one the other day but it wasn't quite extreme enough i mean don't get me wrong if i really went in for the extreme extreme i would have bought a french one run for your lives girls a fleet's in Oh, Uncle Lon, am I excited? Yipe! Look, Uncle Lon, isn't it romantic? Real ponds and ocean and everything. Can that be this time of night? See who it is, Uncle Lon. Why are they pounding so? I'm scared, Uncle Lon. Directed by John Huston, right. uh, which is fun. Um, who I didn't realize, I don't think real. I don't think I realized was like also a big time director. <laughs> I only knew him as the old guy from uh, Chinatown, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had, he directed a couple of movies here and there, with like Maltese Falcon yeah. and uh, Trinity oh Sierra Madre, and 
Yeah, you know, movies you never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> Small time stuff. Yeah. And this is uh, another crime story uh, about a, a group of ga- uh, criminals uh, that pull off a diamond heist uh, in the middle of a city with the, like, German air doctor guy. Yeah. Uh, who like puts together this whole heist and and gets these kind of ragtag group together and this one's like much more typical noir I think like you know Doom from the start like all of them are yeah. uh, but like more grizzled I guess um, yeah I would say where it's so. like yeah it's like the whole group is like these grizzled cr- criminals whereas the other one they live by night's more about like these young people that got wrapped up in this world right. And yeah, man, this movie also fucking rocks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I know you're a big fan too. Right? I saw this movie. I think it was probably like two, three years ago or something like that. I watched it, uh, and I really liked it. I would like to go back and watch it again because you know I, I've there are periods in my life where I'm just like mainlining noirs, and eventually they all kind of blend together for like a little bit. Yeah. So some of the details of Asphalt Jungle escape me a little bit, but the one thing I really, really remember is that I was so taken in by the um, the woman who plays uh, the mistress in the movie. Uh, yes. And I was like, oh, wow, this woman's such an incredible actress. I'm so, like, drawn to her screen presence. This is incredible. Uh, like, I wonder who this is. And then, like, I'm watching, and, like, five minutes later, I realize, wait, this fucking Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot. I think this is her first uh, film role it's, it's, or something. A, like if that. it's not, it's a very, very early film role. Like, before she was, like, quote-unquote Marilyn Monroe kind of thing. Yeah. So, it, I, so I think I, I, like, forgave myself a little bit for not recognizing her immediately because she is, like, a very different role than what she would usually play. Um, yeah. in other movies but yeah the first like the first time i saw it i was watching i was like wow this actress is incredible like she lights up the screen and it's, it's fucking marilyn monroe one of the most <laughs> iconic actresses of all time so like obviously yeah but <laughs> like come on but I, I remember laughing at myself about that just being like come on man <laughs> just... yeah yeah and it's uh it's really good um that's, that's all I, I haven't gotten a chance to watch much of the uh special features on these uh you know criterion jam packs all sure. there releases uh but there's a couple like you know documentaries and commentaries and stuff like that or featurettes and commentaries i'm excited to check those out nice and uh the last one is 1956's the killing directed by stanley kubrick this is one Uh, of the few very few stanley kubrick movies i have not seen actually yeah that was mostly the that and honestly the uh like box art cover art that criterion has i was like i just kind of fucking want to buy this i don't really know anything about it yeah I mean, it's a Kubrick joint. Like, what could go? Can't really go wrong, <laughs> right? Uh, and it's real. 1956. It's really early Kubrick, uh, which I don't right. know. It's kind of like Kubrick before he his style really became definitive. Yeah. Like the kind of like clockwork orange, shining, like that very symmetrical type thing that he would become known for. It's like before that. Yeah, and it's really interesting. And it stars uh, Sterling Hayden, uh, who also starred in The Asphalt Jungle. He he plays, I think, uh, Colonel Jack Ripper in uh, Doctor Strangelove. Oh, the guy that gives the like. Uh, I don't hate women, Mandrake. I merely deny them my essence. Like that whole speech. I don't know why that one line. It's just the funniest thing. It's a great line. Uh, The bodily fluids speech. Right. Uh, That guy. Um, Yeah. And this is, he plays a a guy that puts together a criminal crew to uh, knock over a horse racetrack, uh, which is really unique. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's, it's the most, I mean, it's called the killing. So it's the most like actiony of the three movies that I watched. Um, you know, it's these guys are just going to go in hard and fast and whoever gets in the way is going down and they just do it. And it's got this really, really cool structure uh, where it constantly flashes back. So, like, they'll say, like, OK, this all goes down at the seventh race or whatever. And it'll show you one character's, like, plot line up to the start of the seven, like the starting bell of the seventh race. 
and then it'll fade out and show you another character's plotline yeah. up to the start of the seventh race until you see all the like pieces and the plan they've got, and you you kind of are figuring out what their plan is gonna be as each person does it. Like they don't really reveal it until the last guy gets there. Yeah, and then the heist goes off, and then the <laughs> fallout goes off, and uh, it's got like it's got a great uh, like last like end of a heist like just heartbreak uh, thing at an airport with a suitcase full of money. And uh, it gets dropped in front of a propeller, and yeah. just the money just whoosh, blows down the tarmac. <laughs> and uh, it's just, like, the most heartbreaking. Like, you're so close. Uh, it's great. That's great. Yeah, and it's got, it's got all, like, you can see, like you mentioned, too, it's before all the Kubrick stuff, but it's got, like, the touches. Like, you can see, like, I can see where this is going to come, mm. where this is going. Uh, there's one incredible shot where uh, Sterling Hayden walks into a club. Like a, I, forget, I think it's like a chess club, which is very strange. Uh, but it's shot from him, like from inside the building, him walking in the door. And I didn't realize it, but like you can read like the thing says chess club, but we're inside the door, but we can read it. Yeah. And then the camera, like as he walks in the door, the camera pulls back and it's like been looking at an angled mirror. Like there's a mirror leaning against a wall. Uh, and it's like, so oh, I see what's going on. And he's like walking down a hallway, like not even in frame. I don't yeah. know. It's really cool. You have to check it out. You, you can find it. Yeah, I'm sure I would love it. It's the the killing. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing a couple of these movies at least might be on the Criterion channel. Um, yeah, probably. If, if people want to check them out. But otherwise, the uh, the half off Criterion sale of Barnes & Noble going on right now. Uh, and I'm strongly debating. Like, I, I, they just had a flash sale a couple weeks ago. Uh, yeah. And I ended up buying a couple movies then, and now I'm like, oh, man, more movies. We'll see. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> see what happens. But uh, if somebody wants to donate to our Blu-ray collection fund, <laughs> should we start a Patreon us? just so we can buy Blu-rays? <laughs> <laughs> Pl- plug your Cash App, and then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, anyway, that's uh, that's all you got for discussions this week, right, Mike? Yes. Um, that was all my movies. All right. Cool. So I'm I'm gonna take us out of the '80s and the '40s. Um, <laughs> uh, how dare uh, by talking about some recent movies some 2019 movies that uh, I've been catching up with uh, the first of which is probably my favorite of the bunch uh, actually easily my favorite of the bunch and uh, it's available on Netflix right now it's one that I was very very excited about and that is called Dolomite Is My Name you've been up on stage Lady Reed I used to be a backup singer in New Orleans I knew it I told you uh-huh. sure do. the singer huh I get so nervous I had to hang on to the mic from not falling over. <laughs> Butterflies all in my stomach. <laughs> You're funny. You should be doing stand-up. But what What would I do? I'm not really no pimp. I ain't got no stable of hoes. I just created a character. I do it all the time. I've been Prince Dumas. I've been the Harlem Hillbilly. And tonight, look at this here. <clears throat> just, just tug on, tug on this. Mm-hmm. Just to give a little tug. Just a little. Don't tug too hard. Don't take the motherfucker off. Oh shit! Oh, that's a motherfucker. Yeah, that's right. It's all pretend. You put on a cape and turn into a fucking superhero. Leave the real you behind. Go on stage. And... Magic, huh? <laughs> uh, which is the new uh, biopic about Rudy Ray Moore, uh, directed by Craig Brewer, who made Hustle and Flow, written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, who, uh, if you're familiar with the um, Pure Cinema podcast, Larry Karaszewski's a freaking guest on that podcast. Uh, and they also co-wrote uh, Ed Wood together, People for O.J. Simpson, a lot of other great biopics uh, as well. Uh, and this stars Eddie Murphy in the lead role as Rudy Ray Moore. Uh, and Rudy Ray Moore, for those who don't know, was a black exploitation star in the 70s. He was kind of a comedian uh, in the early 70s before developing the character Dolomite and uh, creating like an independent sort of empire uh, in movie making. Uh, and it's really, it's a really fascinating story. And Eddie Murphy, man, it's the comeback role 
for Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yeah. The Eddie murphy Assance is in full effect uh, <laughs> now that Dolomite is my name is out in the world. I mean, this movie is a blast. It's such a great celebration of uh, one of indie cinema's like most underappreciated artists and also a really great ex- celebration of exploitation stuff. Uh, and Eddie Murphy's incredible in it. Like He's reclaiming that old like 80s swagger that he used to have. It feels like the edgiest thing he's done in like 20 years. Um, wow. But it's also, you know, he, he brings a lot of like depth to the role too. Like, there's a couple of dramatic moments that he lands really well, but it is mostly a comedy. Uh, and it's just, it allows Eddie Murphy to just riff and do his thing. And it's great. And he has a great supporting cast surrounding him. Wesley Snipes is in this movie uh, as Derville Martin, who was the director of Dolomite and an actor in the 60s and 70s. Uh, it was actually cool. A couple of, couple of weeks before I saw Dolomite as my name, I went over to uh, the Roxy Theater, which is the indie theater near my house in Missoula, Montana. Uh, and they were showing <laughs> Rosemary's Baby. And uh, Derville Martin actually has a bit part in rosemary's baby uh and i remember seeing his name in the credits i was like hey derville martin because i I was researching dolomite as my name like a little while before and i was like i knew wesley such was playing him uh and then a couple weeks later i watched dolomite as my name and they were like and there's like bits in the movie where wesley snipes as derville martin is like so as i was talking to my friend john cassavetes from rosemary's (laughs) baby uh you know that's amazing he's talking about being directed by polanski and stuff like that it's really great but yeah wesley snipes like other than uh, other than Andy Murphy, it's also like a Wesley Snipes comeback role. He's great in the movie too. Uh, but Keegan Michael Key is in this movie. Uh, Craig Robinson from The Office, Mike Epps, Titus Burgess, like just a bunch of like really great uh, supporting cast characters and great cameos too. I mean, uh, you mentioned Snoop Dogg before. Snoop Dogg's also in this movie. Uh, wow. and he has a couple of scenes and he's very funny when he's there actually it's weird I was like looking through um, like I'm, I'm starting to uh, kind of I keep like a running tab of all the movies that I watched throughout the year so that I can fully compile my top 10 list for our episode at the end of the year uh, and I was kind of going through my top 20 and uh, I won't give away any spoilers but I'll just say that right now currently Dolomite is my name and The Beach Bum are both movies that are somewhere in my top 20 and Snoop Dogg is in both of them. And I was like, how did Snoop Dogg manage to be in two of my favorite movies of the year? What, <laughs> <laughs> what year is it, what? first off? Exactly. What is happening? Uh, but yeah, if you're into uh, black exploitation movies, if you're into uh, you know that that kind of old era of Hollywood movie making, or not, not even Hollywood movie making, because it's really like outside of the system that uh, Rudy Ray Moore got to make his stuff. Uh, and if you're just into that era, uh, and if you want to see Eddie Murphy just crushing it again, uh, then Dolomite is my name is uh, definitely worth checking out, and it's on Netflix right now, so uh, definitely worth your time. Uh, so yeah, uh, have you watched this movie yet, Mike? I know you uh, wanted to watch it too. No, yeah, I, I forgot all about it honestly, uh, but I definitely really want to watch it. I, I remember talking about it, and they hyped it up on a couple of podcasts and stuff. Right? Yeah, they're, they're uh, actually showing it at the. Um, they were showing it last month at the uh, New Beverly Cinema in Los Angeles on a thirty-five millimeter print, which for a Damn. Which for a Netflix movie, like you would think, wouldn't even exist. Um, <laughs> I think it's the only one, right? I, I feel like I remember hearing. I'm that. pretty sure it is the only one, and I think there are they are still showing it a couple times in November and stuff like that. Uh, which obviously we don't live anywhere near LA. We're just fans of the <laughs> yeah of the new Bev from afar. So if if, if anybody from the new Bev wants to fly us out there so we can go see Dolomite is My Name on 35 millimeter, <laughs> maybe do a Once Upon a Time Hollywood screening too. Like uh, that'd be cool too. But. Uh, <laughs> You can email us at uh... Mike and Mike at the movies at gmail.com, please. Uh, <laughs> which, by the way, speaking of, actually, I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again uh, recently. Is that five? How many is uh, that? Four times. Four times. Four times. Uh, which, there's only one other movie that I've seen in a theater four times in its original run. Um, that was The Dark Knight, uh, which was 11 years ago. So, uh, Once Upon a Time wow. Hollywood, kind of a milestone for, <laughs> for me, <laughs> is all I'm saying. Actually, I went to go see it again. Because like I figured like be, they they put it back in the theaters to do like an extended cut of the movie or what they were calling an extended cut. Um, right. When it, in actuality, what it was was like two kind of 
extra shorts at the beginning and two bits at the end, like a commercial that Rick Dalton stars in type thing and like a little bit more bounty law at the end of that kind of thing. Uh, okay. But the version that I saw did not have those things. So I just ended up seeing, <laughs> so I just ended up seeing the movie again and I was a little bit bummed about it, but then I was like, well, I got to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again, so <laughs> I guess I can't complain too much. Um, but anyway, that's a little off topic. Dolomite is my name. It's on Netflix right now. It's great. Go check it out. Uh, and then this past weekend, went to go see another movie that I was very excited about. Uh, the new fo- uh, movie from director Robert Eggers, who made The Witch uh, a couple years ago. And that is The Lighthouse. Hey, hey, handsome lad with eyes, bright as a lady. Come to this rock, play in the tough. You make me laugh with your false grum. Ye pretended to some mystery in your quietudes, but there ain't no mystery. You're an open book. A picture, says I. A painted actress screaming in the footlights. A bitch what wants to be coveted for nothing but being born, crying about the silver spoon what should have been yours. Now look at you, crying. Boo, boo. What you gonna do? You were excited for the lighthouse too, right, Mike? Yeah, I'm very excited for this movie. Yeah. I still haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about this. Like, you live in New York. Uh, there's like movies like The Lighthouse and Parasite and Jojo Rabbit. They're all open. They're all available near you, uh, and you just haven't gotten around to us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think The Irishman might even be playing in the city. Like, if I went into Manhattan, oh yeah, hundred uh, percent it is. <laughs> Yeah. No, that's a lot of effort though. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's a shame. But uh you should go see you should go see the lighthouse if you get a chance. I think you're gonna really dig it. Especially if nice. you love the witch, which you did. So Yeah. Um this is a movie that is somehow even more bizarre than The Witch, uh, and it's pretty wow. great. Uh it's Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. Uh they're two men taking care of a lighthouse in the middle of a deserted rock in the ocean in the eighteen nineties, and that's it. That's the <laughs> it's just That's the that, that's the tweet. That's the movie, yeah. Uh it's it's just about those two being alone together and descending into madness after like weeks and weeks just having only each other to talk to in the middle of this like stormy rock. Uh, and it's filmed in black and white. It has a 16 by 9 aspect ratio. Like it could fit in like an Instagram story. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it makes... It, it has a disorienting effect because you're not used to seeing movies in that format, uh, which works for the movie. And, uh, you know, both of the actors, Pattinson and Defoe, are great. Like, I think, you know, Pattinson has been doing some incredible work over the last few years, like with Good Time and High Life and uh, a lot of great stuff. Um, Defoe, though, fucking next level in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, Willem Defoe in The Lighthouse might be my favorite performance of the year so far. Um, I think he is incredible in this movie. Uh, the sound design also is just, it really envelops you into this world and it's just excellent. Like it uses, it uses silence really effectively, but then when it needs to like turn on the intense, like all encompassing sound, it does that too. Uh, it's sort of a horror movie. Um, and you know, there's horror scenes and imagery. Um, but I would say it's more of like a very bleak, dark comedy. Uh, but really it's just its own thing. Like (laughs) there's no, there's no real descriptor for the lighthouse. I would say just go see the lighthouse. If you're into weird esoteric art house nonsense, the lighthouse is the movie for you. And if you want to see Willem Dafoe do some incredible monologuing, the lighthouse is also the movie for you. (laughs) (laughs) Is it better than the green goblin in the mirror monologue? I mean, nothing's better than the green goblin in the mirror monologue. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just to be clear, Willem Dafoe as green goblin incredible just one of the best <laughs> one of the best scenery chewing performances of all time uh and he's great but i mean 
his performance in this movie is probably better than he is in Spider-Man. <laughs> but, you know, the Spider-Man performance will, will always have a place in my heart. Um, but anyway, yeah, The Lighthouse is great. Uh, definitely worth going to see. Uh, and then a few other movies I wanted to uh, get through real quick. The first of which is a new mockumentary called Mr. America, uh, which is directed by Eric Notarnicola. Uh, and it stars Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington. Uh, and it's based on their web series On Cinema at the Cinema. Uh, have you ever watched the, this show, Mike, on Cinema at the Cinema? No. Okay, neither have I, actually. I had never watched the show. Um, and then I went, I researched it a little bit before I went to go see this movie. Because I saw the trailer for this movie. I thought it looked pretty funny. Uh, and they were doing a one-night-only screening at the Roxy right here in Missoula, Montana, which is the indie theater right near my house. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I researched the show a little bit. Um, it's it's had, like, 11 seasons. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck? There's, like, a spinoff show, uh, and there's, like... There, there's this whole, like, expanded universe that has come out of On Cinema at the Cinema that I had no, I had no knowledge about. Because um, it started off as just, like, this sort of parody of movie review internet shows uh, with Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington, uh, where Tim Heidecker plays, like, a guy who's not really into movies, but he's just hosting the show anyway, and Greg Turkington's, like, the movie expert uh, okay. and that kind of thing. And then, this like... The storyline just kind of went insane from there. It became about, like, you know, Tim Heidecker and his band and these people and, like, putting on a music festival. And eventually, where this movie picks up, um, I guess a year ago or something like that, uh, it, like, the show airs on, like, adultswim.com. And there was a story arc on the show where Tim Heidecker, like, put on this music festival um, and sold a bunch of, like, um, e-cigarettes that were poisoned and, like, 20 <laughs> people died as a result. Uh, and so... AdultSwim.com did this thing where they had like a live stream of the trial of Tim Heidecker, and it was it was like five <laughs> hours long. And there's clips from that in this movie, Mister America. Uh, so this documentary picks up right after the trial, where Tim uh, gets acquitted for murder on like a technicality. It's like a mistrial. Uh, so he's so he gets away gets away with this crime. Uh, and then it's about this mockumentary is about him running for district attorney of San Bernardino, California, um, to try to get back at the guy who was the lawyer prosecuting against him. Uh, and it's just, it's, if you enjoy the very awkward Tim Heidecker, Tim and Eric style of humor, you'll probably enjoy Mr. America. Uh, you'll probably get more out of it if you're really familiar with On Cinema at the Cinema, which I was not, but I, I feel like I got a, enough out of it where I could say, oh yeah, I'd recommend it. Like, I think it, I think it does, okay. I think it does enough to establish everything going on with all the running, there's apparently a lot of like really like long running arcs that are, <laughs> that are happening on this show <laughs> that I didn't know about, um. But yeah, it's uh, it's worth checking out. And then after the after the movie, they kind of do like um, a bonus episode of On Cinema at the Cinema too. Uh, so that was kind of cool too. But uh, yeah, so Mr. America, it's uh, it's pretty solid. I enjoyed it. Uh, How about that? Yeah. Uh, also went to go see a movie uh, this weekend, uh, which you're, if you're a Bruce Springsteen fan, you might want to check out called Western Stars, uh, which Bruce Springsteen actually co-directed with uh, Tom Zimmy, and it's a it's a concert movie. Uh, where Bruce Springsteen is playing his new album in a barn for a very small audience. Um, which have you listened to the new Bruce Springsteen album, Western Stars? No, I, didn't, I haven't gotten to it. Okay. Uh, mostly because it's like a solo thing, right? And yeah, it's, it's, like it's, a... it's not with the E Street Band. It's just him. Um, and yeah. and his wife is uh, part of the movie as well. Um, like she's performing with him too. The movie is just him performing the album in its entirety. Um, there's no like big Bruce Springsteen hits or anything like that. Like you're not gonna hear Thunder Road or anything right. like that. But uh, it's intercut with Bruce like introducing each song and the concept behind them and just generally kind of giving his musings about life and stuff. It almost feels like the sequel to the Springsteen on Broadway show um, that he did, which is also which is on Netflix right now. If you uh, haven't checked that out yet. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty solid. Like again, it, you don't go in expecting the big Springsteen hits, but if you like Bruce, you know it's, you get to watch Bruce Springsteen play for an hour and a half, and that's you know not not a bad thing either. So 
No. Uh, also, one weird thing about it is the, um, and this is purely by coincidence, but I guess the the concept of the album, because it's it's sort of a concept album, is it's about like this aging cowboy movie star and a stuntman. What? <laughs> yeah, it's just by random coincidence. It's about those two those two guys, like not not necessarily Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth, but like it just happens to be about two similar characters, <laughs> uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, so yeah, that's a little added bonus to Western Stars. Uh, and then finally, I have one more movie I wanted to uh, discuss. Went to go see this last night, actually, and uh, I, I was talking to you before this, and I was like, yeah, I went to go see this movie, and you were like, I think you're the only one. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I think I might be. Uh, and that is a movie called Motherless Brooklyn, which is uh, the new movie uh, written and directed by Edward Norton. He also stars in the lead role. Uh, so you ha- you've seen the uh, trailers and stuff for Motherless Brooklyn, Mike? Yes, I have. Okay, I'm actually surprised about that again, because I, I didn't think this was like... <laughs> a big like you know you said like i would be the only one seeing it and there was a couple other people in my theater um but i I wasn't sure how much awareness people had about this movie so i'm a little surprised that you knew that this existed when i when i mentioned it Mm -hmm. yeah i forget uh maybe it was before ed astra okay the trailer gotcha gotcha uh but yeah this is basically this is a vanity project for edward norton just like straight (laughs) straight up which isn't necessarily a bad thing um but it, it it's basically it's a detective story set in the fifties. Actually, you know, speaking of like your like noir trilogy that you were talking about before, I think this like this kind of story and the way this story is told sort of fits into those movies. Um, Edward Norton plays a detective in the fifties who has Tourette syndrome, um, which allows him to go pretty big with his performance. And I was and as soon as the movie started and like Edward Norton started doing his thing, I was like, oh no, or <laughs> like what's what's gonna happen here? But it kind of settles into a groove with that, and it's. You know, the Tourette syndrome is actually used in relatively interesting ways. Like it, it actually deals with the realities of like, well, what would a detective with Tourette syndrome have to deal with um, while he's solving mysteries and stuff? Like if, if he's in a situation where he has to be quiet, that could be a problem. Like, <laughs> like that kind right. of thing. And sometimes it's used as like a comedic device, but not like making fun of the Tourette syndrome, usually making fun of the situation. So, uh, yeah, it's it's. I think that's actually handled pretty well. Uh, and this movie has an incredible cast. I mean, Edward Norton is the star. Uh, Alec Baldwin is in this movie. Bruce Willis, uh, Bobby Cannavale, Gugum Bathara, Leslie Mann, and Willem Dafoe, again, popping up in this movie. All, wow. Also an incredible performance, Willem Dafoe in this movie. Easily the MVP. Like, like, <laughs> I, I saw The Lighthouse on Sunday. I saw this movie on Monday. And I was like, man, it was a good couple of days for Willem Dafoe performances. Uh, Triple feature that with Dog Eat Dog, and you're killing it. That's true, yeah. Uh, if you haven't listened to our Complete Works episode of Dog Eat Dog, please do. It's, it's a great movie. Uh, and, watch, yeah. and watch the movie, too. You can listen to the podcast if you want to, but the movie is also very good. <laughs> Mostly watch the movie. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the plot of this movie is that uh, Norton's uh, mentor is killed under mysterious circumstances, and so he starts investigating and begins digging into a housing scandal where the city is trying to push out poor people to create new developments and things like that. I think it's compelling enough, and it has enough like hard-boiled noir flavor where I was like, you know, pretty into it for a long time. I'd say check it out. Uh, just know that this movie is two and a half hours long, and I was pretty ready for it to be done by the ninety-minute mark. <laughs> like this chopping mall cut. We need the chopping mall cut of Motherless Brooklyn. I genuinely felt like you know part of what made a lot of those like fifties noir great was that they're all like ninety minutes. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I even wrote a note down. And I totally forgot to mention it. The killing is eighty-five minutes long. Right. exactly this movie goes on forever it 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 takes (laughs) like genuinely by the 90 like i looked at my phone because i i knew i i I was a seven o'clock show with the movie i knew it was two and a half hours long i figured all right give it a half hour for trailers i'll be getting out of there around 10 uh at one point i looked at my phone thinking the movie was like close to being done and it was nine and i was like oh god i have another hour of this to go uh so yeah motherless brooklyn it's 
entertaining enough, but the runtime is really what kills it. it like pace, the pacing is just not. There's no sense of pacing throughout this movie. Um, mm. So you know, there's. It, it just felt like you know how like I, I used to complain about. Um, a lot of the Netflix original Marvel series, specifically Daredevil, I used to complain about it a lot. Where like every scene just felt like it went on too long, <laughs> you know? Yes. Like the the point of the scene would have been established, and then it would go on for like another two or three minutes. Uh, that's how I felt with my those book. I just felt like every scene it was like, all right, we can move on now. <laughs> we... Do you think that's because Edward Norton wrote, directed, and starred? <laughs> I think that's uh, definitely a factor in the movie for sure. Okay. Uh, but he's given a very good performance, and I think you know it's a, it's a pretty well shot movie. It's you know it's it's competently directed it's i think there's a lot of interesting stuff in it it's well written uh it's just like the the pacing is just dead there's there's no sense of pacing (laughs) in this movie and that really does hurt it like a lot for me but i did enjoy it for the most part uh so i would recommend seeing it just know that you know there was there was kind of a a fervor going around online a couple weeks ago um, about Netflix adding like a a, a 1.5 speed button that kind of thing where you can slightly speed up your movies and I will say I'm very much against the usage of that button for almost all movies. I feel like with Mother's Brooklyn, it might actually help it out. <laughs> help it out a little bit. It's the only one. Yeah, it's the only movie. If you, I would say do not use that button under any circumstances unless you're trying to fast forward to a part that you wanted to get to. Or if you're watching Mother's Brooklyn and you just want to watch the movie <laughs> uh, in a decent time frame. That's the way to do it. Uh, there you go. But all right. Oh, yeah. Actually, also wanted to quickly mention that uh, The Deuce just ended recently. Um, it's a series finale. It was the other night. And uh, there was a lot of trouble online with um, David Simon and stuff that was happening on Twitter in regards to uh, all the allegations surrounding James Franco. Uh, but removed from all that, The Deuce was an awesome show. It was a really great TV show. And the finale was incredible. Like It was a really just perfect finale it took a really big swing at the end like the last 15 minutes were like some of the boldest i've seen on tv in a while also wow. it reminded me of the season eight finale of scrubs weirdly enough um <laughs> but uh <laughs> i'll explain that off air i don't want to spoil the deuce finale for anybody uh okay but you know if you haven't watched the deuce if you were a fan of the wire or any of david simon's other shows uh and if you're into like that kind of 1970s cd crime era of new york city uh, you know, it's, it's a show about the, uh, the state of the porn industry in the 70s and kind of its evolution and how it um, developed over the 70s and 80s. And uh, it's really great. And uh, its finale was awesome. So uh, definitely worth checking out The Deuce on HBO. Uh, all right. And I believe that about wraps things up, Mike. So let's move on into our retrospective of the Terminator series. Can we fast forward or is this live TV? Before we get into reviewing Terminator Dark Fate, we wanted to kind of take a look back on the entire Terminator series of movies because these are movies that are kind of important to us, I feel like. Like, we're, we're both, or at least the first two, are really, are really important <laughs> to us. Uh, Mike, I mean, you've talked about in the past um, how you used to have a babysitter when you were a kid and there was like three VHS tapes that you would just watch over and over again with the babysitter. One of them was like Jurassic Park. I think the other one was The Lost World, right? Nope. No. It was Jurassic Park 1. Yeah. Uh, Terminator 2. Okay. 
and Twister. And Twister, that was it. Yes. yes. Jurassic Park: The Lost World was the first PG thirteen movie I saw. In okay, yeah. Sorry to mix up uh, the events of your life, but <laughs> but anyway, so Terminator two, one of those movies that you just watched all the time when you were a kid, right? Yes, correct. Okay, so uh, yeah. probably like too early when you really think about it. <laughs> was it the first R rated movie you ever saw? I mean, I guess so, right? It must have been because because the, the original Terminator was the first R rated movie I ever saw, actually, too. Oh my god! Uh, which I, and I feel like that's the case for a lot of people. I feel like the term, like I think, because the Terminator, Terminator Two specifically, uh, was such a big global blockbuster, a lot of kids ended up seeing that movie a lot earlier than they probably should have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and and by extension, Terminator One also. But I, I remember I saw these movies. I think I was like nine or ten. I must have been like ten. Um, I, I it was I was ten years old when Terminator Three came out. And I was re- and I had seen the trailers for it, and I was like, "This looks amazing!" Like I, I was, I was really excited for Terminator Three, and I hadn't seen Terminator One and Two because I was ten. Um, so, so I think I we went out to Blockbuster, and I made, and I made my dad like buy me a Terminator One and Two to rent, uh, so that I could watch them. And so Terminator One ended up being my first R-rated movie as a result, and then Terminator Two immediately after that uh, as well. And I was completely blown away by them. I was like, "This is, this is frying my ten-year-old mind right now." Yeah. I agree. Yeah, they're just like they're the best uh, action like introduction to what those kind of movies can be. Right, uh, and just they're fucking great, man. Yeah, they're That's so all. they're so fucking good. And then there's the rest of the series, uh, which technically yes, yes, th- those kind of exist in a way. Uh, well, we'll talk about that stuff later. But uh, I I, I want to talk about the first two Terminator movies specifically because they were both of them were just huge game changing action movies. Um, I actually rewatched both of them before I went to go see Terminator Dark Fate, um, specifically because like I hadn't seen them in a long time. Also because Dark Fate is a direct sequel to Terminator Two. It ignores all the events of the other Terminator movies and just picks up right where Two left off. Um, so I wanted to you know rewatch the first two just to have them a little more fresh in my head because it, it, it had probably been I definitely had not seen them since at least Terminator Genesis had come out, um, which was four years ago. Um, wow. And so, I, and it was probably like a while before that too. I feel like the last time I remember watching them, I feel like I remember seeing Terminator Two at some point while I was in college. You know, like watching them like with my roommates in my dorm and something like that. And I have them on Blu-ray and DVD and stuff like that, but like I just hadn't watched them in a long time. Uh, so I rewatched them and can confirm they are still awesome. Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, but yeah, for those unfamiliar with the story, the Terminator from 1984, the original, uh, directed by James Cameron, and uh, it was kind of developed. Uh, are you familiar with how he created the idea of Terminator? No, I don't think so. Oh, well, it happened like while, while he was filming Piranha 2 um, in 81, because James that was his, technically his first movie. I mean, the, the Terminator is like basically James Cameron's directorial debut, um, but he worked for like a couple of days on Piranha 2, and he became like the credited director of that movie. Uh, <laughs> so it's just a weird stuff happened there. But anyway, while he was making Piranha 2, James Cameron um, got like violently sick. He got really ill. And um, one night, he was like having like one of those like tossing and turning, like back and forth nights, and he had this nightmare about a metallic torso with knives um, pulling itself out of an explosion. Um, and he took that he took that image. That, that image was just so burned into his head after that nightmare. Um, and then around that time, he also saw John Carpenter's Halloween. And mm. so he took that image and like the template of that Halloween established uh, and turned that image into a slasher movie, essentially. Uh, the Terminator was born out of that. The 600 series had rubber skin. We spotted them easy. But these are new. They look human. Sweat, bad breath, everything. Very hard to spot. I had to wait till he moved on you before I could zero him. Look, I am not stupid, you know. They cannot make things like that yet. Not yet. 
Not for about 40 years. Are you saying it's from the future? One possible future. From your point of view, I don't know tech stuff. Then you're from the future too, is that right? Right. Right. Cyborgs don't feel pain. I do. Don't do that again. Just let me go. Listen and understand. That Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. Rewatching the original Terminator, like, it seems like an anomaly now. Like, it's it's so far removed from the rest of the series, I feel like, just in terms of its tone and its style, uh, because the rest of them were all modeled after, like, the big-budget blockbuster action of Terminator 2. Uh, right. And this is, like, the complete opposite of, <laughs> of that. <laughs> I mean, Terminator 1 is a very dark, brooding movie. Um, it had a budget of about $6 million, um, which, compared to the sequel, Terminator 2, had a budget of $100 million. So there's a pretty big jump... <laughs> In, wow. in production value there. Uh, and, of course, The Terminator 1, it was a star-making movie for Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's the movie that really made him a star in America. Like, he had been in Conan the Barbarian before this, um, I think, but Terminator was the one that was like a really massive hit. And, you know, it's it establishes everything about this entire series. It establishes Sarah Connor. It says, like, your son, John Connor, will be the savior of humanity uh, and stuff like that, or the guy who leads the resistance in any case. Uh, but And what I like about the Sarah Connor that you see in Terminator 1, it's a very different Sarah Connor than we see in every other movie. Um, I mean, granted, you only really see Sarah Connor in Terminator 2 as Linda Hamilton and then Genesis as Amelia Clark. Uh, and then I guess in the TV show Sarah Connor Chronicles um, with Lena Headey. Uh, before, before all that, like, Terminator 1, it's a very different Sarah Connor. Like, this is a more vulnerable, scared woman because it is, like, she's, like, the final girl in a horror movie. But it's just, wow. but it's just the entire movie. Like it's, it's basically, yeah. you know, the rewatching Terminator One. It's like the climax of a horror movie, but for its entire runtime. And so it's, it's, you know, her entire world is being shattered by this unyielding killing machine, and just, it's so, so good. I mean, I, I, James Cameron, you know, I, I feel like people joke about him a lot now because of his devotion to Avatar and stuff like that. <laughs> and I, I will say, I'm a fan of Avatar. I haven't seen it since it was in theaters, but I like the movie a lot at the time. To me, there's very few directors. I think he may be the best filmmaker alive um, at creating like visual effects-heavy blockbusters. Uh, and that's on display in Terminator, and especially Terminator 2, uh, yeah. for sure. Um, watching the movie again, James Cameron's direction's great, Schwarzenegger's great. Um, also, the only, really the only Terminator movie where Schwarzenegger is a bad guy for its entire runtime. And Linda Hamilton's great. My MVP of the movie, it might be Michael Bean. Michael Bean, wow. Michael Bean is Kyle Reese, man. He is so good because he he delivers all the exposition of the movie, right? And he <laughs> he's got to tell us everything. He's got to tell the entire story. He's got to tell you all the stuff that's happening in the future. He has got to describe what the Terminator is. Uh, and I kind of quoted that when I introduced you today um, in his, his speech. Like he's like he is a what a it's like he can't be bargained with. He can't be reasoned with. He doesn't feel pit. like he sells that so well, <laughs> um, and does it in a way that makes it sound really terrifying too. The sequence. Um, when they're in the police station, which is the like the very famous "I'll be back" sequence, where that right. where it's just where that line comes from, uh, which Schwarzenegger used in fifty other movies after that, uh, <laughs> not just Terminator movies, but all of them. Uh, Everyone, <laughs> um, you know that that sequence in the police station where um, Kyle Reese is kind of in 
handcuffs he's in the interrogation room and um they're watching him on the computer monitor and he's describing like what's gonna happen like michael bean is just so fucking good <laughs> in this movie it's great <laughs> um but yeah when, when was the last time that you watched the original terminator mike uh it's gotta be a long long time now yeah. like be- between five and ten years i'd say oh wow uh, for terminator one yeah Cool. So like I don't really remember a whole lot of it, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is unfortunate. I would, I would have uh, liked to have watched rewatched Terminator One and Two, but uh, at least Terminator One because like I said, Terminator Two is like kind of just ingrained in my brain all the time. Right. Uh, so like I'm okay with not having seen that in a while because like I I got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Terminator One would have been cool. Yeah, I do remember. Uh, the Michael Bean with like the weird headset thing in the beginning, right? I think like just oh, yeah. like the visuals. There's so much style in these movies. Yeah. Uh, that is all started, I guess, in the first one. Like, it all comes from there. Yeah, absolutely. The scene when uh, Schwarzenegger is like taking his eye out, uh, you know, like speak- speaking of like visual effects stuff, yeah. which is f- so funny to see that now. Uh, like, it looks pretty good. Like, it's pretty solid. Like, it's for what it is. Like, you know, it's practical anim- animatronic. Yeah, like, it's yeah. real. I think it still looks great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then compare it to you know the visual effects of like liquid metal and shit in, oh, in yeah. just Terminator One and Terminator Two, uh, oh, yeah. the huge jump in production. Yeah, I mean, well, Terminator Two. I mean, that like let's move on to that fucking game changer of a movie right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like... uh, so Terminator One was eighty four. Seven years pass. James Cameron decides I'm going to make a Terminator Two. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's nineteen ninety one. Let's do this. Keep it under sixty five. We don't want to be pulled over. Affirmative. No, 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 no. You gotta listen to the way people talk. You don't say affirmative or some shit like that. You say, no problemo. And if someone comes off to you with an attitude, you say, eat me. And if you want to shine them on, it's hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista, baby. Yeah, or later, dickwad. And if someone gets upset, you say, chill out. Or you could do combinations. Chill out, dickwad. That's great. See, you're getting it. No problemo. Like, it, it, I don't think it can be overstated how big... Like, we, I wasn't born when Terminator 2 came out. I was born two years later. Uh, you were probably born that... that You were born that year, right? 91? I was born in 91, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously you weren't, like, sentient um, for the release of Terminator <laughs> 2. Uh, I was always aware of Terminator 2, Mike. <laughs> but, well, that, that's kind of the thing. Like, I feel like I've always been aware <laughs> of Terminator 2 my entire life. Like, it was one of those things, like, when Terminator 3 was coming out, I already knew what Terminator 2 was. Um, right. But, like, Terminator 3, like, coming out is what gave me, like, the push to be like, all right, I gotta watch these first three Terminator movies uh, when I was 10 years old. And you, because Terminator 2 just seemed like such a big deal. Like, you know, it's it's so, like, there's so many scenes from Terminator 2 that are just ingrained into popular culture. Like, the Hostile Vista Baby line, obviously. Yep. They bring back I'll Be Back and stuff like that. And just so many quotable lines uh, in Terminator 2. Uh, and so many, like, memorable set pieces. And, <laughs> and But the, the big thing about this movie is it really, it revolutionized CGI in movies from that point forward it's you know it's it's the fir- the very first use of motion capture for a character was in terminator wow. 2 uh with the liquid metal terminator with robert patrick uh and it's all and he's also the first partially cgi character in a movie um you know the the, the, the that would go on to evolve over time george lucas kind of um with phantom menace jar jar banks was the very first entirely cgi created character um mm-hmm. which is also motion capture but uh the very first like time they actually tried to use cgi to create like kind of work with a human body terminator 2 is is where that came from uh wow. and james cameron had been like messing around with some of those effects previously he actually he made the abyss before terminator 2 uh and there's a similar kind of liquidy effect in that movie too 
Um, but this movie, I mean, because it was a like it was a bigger deal than The Abyss came out. Like, I think The Abyss didn't perform super well at the box office when it was released. Uh, I don't have the receipts on that. I couldn't tell you for sure. But <laughs> but Terminator Two was such a huge hit when it came out and such a cultural force. Uh, and you know, going forward, like CGI became a bigger bigger deal because of movies like Terminator Two and Jurassic Park, which really pioneered um, that stuff over there. So the T One Thousand. He's like an enormous achievement in the movie, and he still looks fucking awesome. Like <laughs> watching yeah. that movie again, um, it's incredible. And you know, I, I think Terminator Two is one of the best sequels of all time, um, and it is the complete opposite of the original in every way. Like that's that's sort of the thing. It's a much bigger movie, obviously. Uh, it's funnier, it's quippier, um, and it's it's got a little sentimentality to it. It has a more optimistic worldview, I feel like, compared to the first one, which is very nihilist. And honestly, like I, one of the things I like about the Terminator series is that it's a very like existential and nihilist series of movies um and that's yeah. part of why I, I like i like terminator 3 more than most and we'll talk about that in a little bit but terminator 2 ends on a pretty optimistic note where they actually they actually do prevent judgment day they defeat it right they stop it from happening but uh you know he, he the t-1000 looks awesome one of my favorite scenes in the movie uh you know one of the things i like about terminator 2 so much it's the cgi is great and it looks great but i think the reason it looks great is because it's not the only thing they're doing. They have a ton of practical effects and stuff and a lot of different big action set pieces that are really happening in the movie. Uh, so the CGI is like an added bonus to it. It's a tool, and a lot of directors today use it as like the defaults um, right. for everything. Um, but I think it's, re-watching it, like the very small details of Terminator 2 are what make that CGI like really hold up today. Uh, like my favorite example is when the T-1000 slides through the bars in the hospital. Um, which is like such a chilling scene but like and then he's going through and then you hear a clanking sound and his gun doesn't come with him uh and he has to like adjust the gun and kind of pull it through the bars uh and that that i think is like that that kind of small touch is what makes the moment like scary to me like that's what gives it weight uh and there's like a ton of moments like that throughout the first two movies uh that james cameron is so good at like kind of picking out uh and then later entries in the series just like do not have that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean there's so many scenes uh that are just ingrained in my head uh, yeah the scene when they're at uh the guy that works at uh cyberdyne uh, like go- yes when they go to his house and and arnold like cuts his arm and like peels the skin off yes uh like that is a classic like uh, awesome practical effect in the cgi laden movie right um, yeah and that that moment is just ingrained in my head and like i, I don't know it's just everything about it when when uh t1000 bashes the helicopter window and like goes out through it yes. uh, like everything it's just this whole movie is so perfect <laughs> i'm gonna watch terminator 2 after this yeah, basically it's, I think. it's so fucking good. rewatching it i was like god damn this movie's so good i, I have the liquid nitrogen scene like everything yeah liquid nitrogen's great i mean the moment like there's the moment towards the end where the t-800 sacrifices himself Ar- arnold sacrifices himself yeah like it shouldn't be as like that shouldn't work as emotionally on me as it does, you know, because I because I know <laughs> music it, swells. The music it's so swells. Perfect. He has that line where he's like, "I know now why you cry, but that is something <sighs> I cannot do." And that's like, oh god, I feel like this should be stupid, but it's great. Like it's <laughs> it's so great. Uh, like it does a really good job of imbuing the Terminator with that kind of humanity. And I, and I even love like the really dumb stuff with um, John Connor. Like, Ed, like if there if there's a weak link in Terminator Two, it's that Edward Furlong is kind of annoying at some points throughout the movie. But like, I even love yeah. like his kind of annoying kidness of the movie too. Like, it's just a, a weird thing. Maybe it's because I saw the movie when I was ten or something. But you know, I like the scene where he's trying to tell the Terminator how to talk um, and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I have like that entire scene like memorized from when I was a kid, where I'm like, like imitate John Connor. I'm like, and if you want to shine a man, it's 
Asa la vista, baby, and like all that stuff. It's like no, teaching them how to high five, right? Right, and it's like no kid talks like that, but for some reason, like that, it's just ingrained in my mind, uh, and I love it. Like I, I love everything about Terminator Two. It's so fucking good. Um, there's there's like a long, there's a long standing debate about which movie is actually better, Terminator One or Terminator Two, uh, and they are both excellent. Like they're both incredible. They're both five star movies to me. Um, yeah, I would give the edge to Terminator Two. I think. Like I can watch that forever. Yeah, basically. pretty much. Uh, and then after Terminator 2, that's where things get interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so the, you know, Terminator 2 ends, honestly, both the both, Terminator 1 ends on a pretty definitive note. Like, I, I can't imagine how difficult it would have been for James Cameron to make a sequel to Terminator 1 because it closes everything pretty effectively in that <laughs> movie. Uh, but he managed to do it because James Cameron is the fucking sequel master, you know, with uh, Terminator yeah. 2 and Aliens, which is why I'm pumped for Avatar 2, by the way. Um, I'm the guy. I'm Avatars. Avatars. Yeah. Or uh, no, what was the? I, I, I remember there was like the leaked titles for like Avatar two, three, four, and five, and they were like the ridiculous. Like it's like Avatar the Seed Bearer or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I forget. I don't know if those are the real titles of the movies or not. But uh, anyway, I'm excited for Avatar two, and it's gonna rock. Like, dude, don't let anybody tell you differently. Avatar two is gonna rock. People are gonna realize Avatar one rocks when Avatar two comes out. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. It's gonna happen. But anyway. After Terminator 2, I could, like, rewatching it, I'm like, how did anybody decide to make a movie after? Like, Terminator 2 was hugely successful in finance. Like, it was a huge cultural hit. Of course, the studios would want to make another Terminator movie. You Um, answered your own question. Right. But, like, the story ends. Like, they they, they prevent (laughs) Skynet. They destroy Skynet. They prevent the apocalypse from happening. He Uh, gets melted. Yeah, the T-800 gets melted. Like, there's no loose ends. Everything in Terminator 2 that needed to happen, happened. There's no way for there to go for a sequel. Anyway, Terminator 3 came out. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, this one came out in 2003, which was 12 years after Terminator 2, which I believe is the the longest gap between any Terminator movie. This is Skynet. There's nothing here. This is a fallout shelter for VIPs. Only they never got the warning. God damn it. There's nothing here. Why didn't he tell us? Why did he lead us down here? To live. That was his mission. And this one was not directed by James Cameron. James Cameron was pretty much out of the franchise at this point. There was a lot of different behind-the-scenes stuff involving the rights to the series and stuff like that. Uh, So James Cameron, I think, is credited as an executive producer for the rest of these movies. Um, But he really has no involvement in them other than saying, like, other than, like, collecting a paycheck when they're done and being like, hey, you should go see a Terminator movie. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much. But this one was actually directed by Jonathan Mostow. And Jonathan Mostow directed a movie called Breakdown back in 1997. Uh, wow. with Kurt Russell and I saw a breakdown of the Kurt Russell marathon at the Alamo Draft House. had never heard of the movie before but as soon as the credit came on directed by Jonathan Mostow I was like holy shit Jonathan Mostow isn't that the guy who did Terminator 3? <laughs> and I, the only person who had that thought yeah. and I got kind of excited about that Mike because I've always considered Terminator 3 a pretty underrated movie in the Terminator saga 
wow. and you know what? Breakdown fucking rocks. So that kind of backed up my, <laughs> mm-hmm. that kind of backed up my thoughts. I was like, man, Terminator Three. It was pretty good. Now, I have not rewatched Terminator Three in a very, very long time. Like probably, it came out in two thousand three. I have it on DVD. And I thought about rewatching it before Dark Fate, but then I was like, "Well, it's not going to impact the story of Dark Fate in any way because they're ignoring it." So, whatever. I'm not. I'm not gonna. Yeah. I, I. I don't have the time to do it. But Terminator Three was pretty widely hated at the time <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it, and I think partially because it is following up two essentially perfect movies. Uh, also because James Cameron wasn't involved, and also because it was kind of largely a vehicle for Arnold Schwarzenegger's campaign to become governor of California. Uh, like oh my this, god like he, this came out in 03 he was like on the campaign trail to become governor at the time of this movie being released uh so take all of that out of your mind because i've been saying it since i was 10 <laughs> i'm saying it now <laughs> terminator 3 is good mike that's the hill i'm gonna die on <laughs> wow it's not great but it's good it's fun uh i think Mostow is actually a great action filmmaker breakdown i think proves that um and i really like its characterization of john connor um, who, who's played by Nick Stahl in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he's kind of like this off-the-grid drifter who, um, you know, his life kind of passed him by because he was supposed to be this great savior of humanity, and that didn't happen because they stopped the apocalypse from happening, so now he's just some fucking schmo. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, and, you know, in this movie, like, Sarah Connor has been dead for a few years, and John Connor is just kind of living off the grid, uh, and then, turns out, the apocalypse it wasn't prevented it was just delayed or whatever um which uh-huh. is which is basically the fundamental problem with trying to continue a movie past terminator 2 is you have to undo the ending of terminator 2 <laughs> every movie every time otherwise there's no movie so uh, which is kind of a bummer but i think terminator 3 justifies that narrative choice um by having one of the bleakest endings of any major blockbuster movie released in the last 20 years um it's do you remember how terminator 3 ends do the nukes go off? Yeah, the nukes go off. It's it's the, yeah. it's the beneath the planet of the apes of Terminator movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember they get into the bunker and then like the world ends. Yeah. yeah, and it's not even it's it's a bunker that's like designed for the government, and they're thinking like, oh, the government leaders are gonna come like get into the bunker, so that at least there's some semblance of like leadership left in America, even if even if the nukes go off. But the like, government people don't get there in time, and it's just John Connor and um, Claire Danes. Uh, who I don't remember. <laughs> Forgot Claire Danes. Yeah, Claire Danes in that movie. Uh, you know, it's just them in the bunker, and then the world ends, and the events of the future end up happening. And I and I think if the series had ended there, like again, Terminator Three, an imperfect movie, not nearly as good as Terminator One or Two, but I think that's a great ending, and I would have loved that to just be the ending of the Terminator saga. Like everything's like full circle; it had to happen, and that's the way it is. Uh, did you've seen Terminator Three? I assume, but probably not for a long time either, right? Yeah, not probably. Maybe even since it came out, I do remember. Is it like Kristana Loken or something? Yeah, is the... as the TX, the uh, the female Terminator. Yeah, I remember her being badass. Yeah, she was I remember cool. really liking her. Uh, I remember the the one like standout scene is when they go to Sarah Connor's uh, like grave in the mausoleum, yes. and he like punches through it, and it's like full of guns and shit. <laughs> because uh, of course it is. Yeah. Yeah, like, and there's, like, a huge shootout where he gets in the coffin, where John Connor gets in the coffin, right? I think. Yeah, That's, like, the only scene I remember in Terminator 3. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, it's, I, again, I haven't seen it in a long time either. I, I don't, it's not entirely fresh in my mind, uh, but I just remember liking the movie quite a bit. Like, it's better than people give it credit for. And there is, like, a lot of campy stuff, 
too. Like I think I think when Arnold shows up, he ends up in like a gay bar or something like that, and it's like this. Weird, yeah. <laughs> and it's like this weird thing where somebody says, "Talk to the hand," and then Arnold gets to say, "Talk to the hand" later or yes. whatever. But like, I do remember that. So it's like you know, it's kind of campy, kind of like it's kind of weird, but like yeah, it's it's fine. It's Terminator Three. It's it's a better movie than people remember it being, and I would argue a better movie than Terminator Dark Fate. Actually, I'm gonna go there right now. Spicy. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about Terminator Dark Fate later on in the when we get to our feature review after this retrospective um but yeah terminator 3 it's a solid time uh and then i kind of want to briefly mention before we get to terminator 4 and 5 uh we kind of alluded to this show before but terminator the sarah connor chronicles mr ferguson is ill today my name is cromarty is that your only name like madonna madonna why no <laughs> Let's take attendance then. Murray Buoy. Here. Donald Chase. Here. Franklin Lane. Here. Cynthia Nolan. Here. Wayne Parker. Here. Cameron Phillips. Cameron. Here. Reese. Do we have a John Reese? <clears throat> Excellent. Um, which did you watch the show when it was on? Not even a little bit. Okay, I watched it. I was I was a fan. Cause wow. I, cause again, I was a huge Terminator fan when I was a kid. You know, I, again, rewatched one and two all the time, uh, and defended Terminator three. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day. So, of course, I was watching Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles. This show was on for two seasons, uh, from 2008 to 2009, uh, and developed by Josh Friedman, who actually had a hand in writing Dark Fate as well. I think he helped develop the story or something like that. Um, There's like nine writer credits to this movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but this is a TV spinoff that ignores the events of Terminator 3. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a recurring thing, well, I think. It's a recurring thing in the entire franchise, because the turn like... They keep having to undo the endings of other movies in order to keep the franchise going. <laughs> um, so basically, it take, like the way Cameron describes all the different movies in the Terminator series, they kind of just all take place in like alternate timelines, which is like the easiest way because like you know just time time travel creates wild timey wibby yeah. wibbly wobbly exactly. Uh, but anyway, in this show, uh, a Terminator played by Summer Glau from Firefly, who played River on yeah. that show, um, she is sent back in time to protect Sarah Connor and John Connor. Sarah Connor played by uh, Lena Headey in a pre-Game of Thrones uh, role, which, right. which th- that's what I knew her for um, when, when I started watching Game of Thrones. I was like, hey, it's Sarah Connor. This is... <laughs> <laughs> like, that's weird yeah and now and now obviously i know i recognize her more as cersei but like it's just uh, the, when i first started watching game of thrones like i was like hey it's lena hedia from the sarah connor chronicles and everybody else was like who and i was like <laughs> you know from 300 um but <laughs> uh but yeah it was a pretty good show like, I, I don't remember too much about the show so i'm not gonna go too in depth on what it was but i, I remember i remember it exploring a lot of the sci-fi concepts that the movies don't generally have time to do uh, and I remember being pretty upset when it was canceled after two seasons. I'll be honest with you. So uh, yeah, I remember it was that show and um, Dollhouse, the Joss Whedon show, were on like the same night. Um, and I wasn't. Wa- I think I I hated Dollhouse for a while because like I, I in my head I was like they brought on Dollhouse and so they didn't have enough money to make a Terminator show, so they canceled Terminator. <laughs> uh, and so I didn't watch Dollhouse for a while. And then like years later, I watched Dollhouse and thought it was awesome. But um, <laughs> but also just throwing this out there, Shirley Manson, the lead singer of Garbage, um, she's in this mo- in the show as a Terminator. Uh, what? And she's great. She's really, she's really cool. 
That's fucking she, awesome. She's like the bad guy of season two. It's really fun. Um, but anyway, yeah, that is Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles. And then we got to get into the rough stuff. This is the stuff that turned me off the Terminator series, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> Just, really. uh, you know, I, again, I was such a diehard Terminator fan. Terminator 1 and 2, 3, I defended. I watched the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Uh, the same year that um, season two of the Sarah Connor Chronicles was airing, 2009, that's when McG released uh, Terminator Salvation. What do you got there? Some antibiotics? Antibiotics hard to come by these days. Listen, I don't have much, but you're welcome to whatever you need. We've been watching you. you looking for this? Come on, guys. Machines are the enemy. We're all no, on the same side. No, no. You see, I got a couple friends on my side. Maybe they can carry you home when I'm done with you. Uh, which was Terminator 4. McGee, the filmmaker behind the uh, Charlie's Angels movies, more recently directed a movie called Babysitter on Netflix. Uh, and man, I was hyped for Terminator Salvation. <laughs> I was hyped for this movie, Mike. Were you? Yeah. Did you go see this movie in theaters? I did, for sure. Were you hyped for this too? Yeah, yeah. Christian Bale coming in. Yeah, Christian Bale playing John Connor. The first Terminator movie to not really be about time travel and instead just show us the future war against the machines, which I really wanted to see at the time. Uh, yeah, you know, I was like really excited about that, and it felt like it was a new step. It was something doing something different for the series, and then you watch it, and it turns out that that just turns it into every other post-apocalypse sci-fi movie out there. <laughs> uh, yep. That's when you take away the hook of the Terminator series, and what are you left with? Every other apocalypse war movie, basically. <laughs> like, Every Terminator ripoff that came out after Terminator. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, yeah, Salvation is boring. It's a really boring fucking movie. Uh, it takes some really dumb turns. I remember the CGI Schwarzenegger um, <laughs> pretty vividly. Before they had perfected the de-aging tech. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I remember when Rogue One came out, that that CGI Peter Cushing. And even then, I was like, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about this. I, this doesn't look quite right. Imagine that, but like a million times worse. Um, <laughs> with the CGI Arnold in Terminator Salvation. Uh, and I, there's nobody on screen that seems super invested in the movie. I remember I, I was really excited for Christian Bale because like, I, I think they announced that he was going to be in it like right after The Dark Knight came out. So I was like, yes, Christian Bale, Batman himself. This is incredible. Uh, <laughs> and then he was just whatever. And that's the that's the movie that he infamously had that big tantrum on, which is all, yep. that's all I remember about Terminator Salvation now is just the... <laughs> The big Christian Bale tantrum. He stepped in his eyesight or his eyeline or whatever it was. Right, exactly. Uh, and then I vaguely remember Sam Worthington being decent in it. Like I, <laughs> I fucking forgot about Sam Worthington. You and the rest of the world until Avatar <laughs> Two comes out, baby. <laughs> the Jai Courtney of Sam Worthingtons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he was in this, and I remember him being decent in it. And uh, Anthony Elgin was also in this movie too. Yeah, he's got the one moment I remember from uh, uh, Terminator Salvation Ooh. where it's revealed that he is young Kyle Reese. Right, yes. I, I don't remember the specific moment where that's revealed, but I remember he was playing Kyle Reese. And yeah. I remember him doing a pretty good Michael Bean impression, actually. <laughs> I mean, probably. I feel like he was doing pretty good there. But yeah, uh, so yeah, I, I remember leaving Terminator Salvation and just being like, man, like, I'm so dejected. Because uh, like, I, I love the Terminator <laughs> movies so much, and you know, I was so hyped up for Terminator Salvation, and then I walked out of that theater, and I was like, what the fuck was that? Like, <laughs> that was not very good. So, of course, you know, to me, you know, again, I would defend Terminator 3 to my dying day. Terminator Salvation was one of those movies where I was like, I can't even, I can't even do this. Uh, I'm, I'm done. I, I can't do this movie. And then a few years pass, and they announce... Terminator Genesis. I need answers, all right, right now. 
How'd that liquid metal thing know where to intercept me? Huh? Where'd it come from? And who the hell's the skin job? What the hell is going on? Sorry, we were a little busy with the whole life and death combat thing. And then you attacked Pops. You named it? Hello, Calories. It is nice to meet you. Are you kidding me? I've been trying to teach him to blend in. I know it needs work. It's a Terminator. The only reason it blends in is to kill humans. Pops doesn't kill anyone. A lot of legumes, though. He looks old. Never seen a Terminator old before. Well, the flesh they put on the cyborgs is normal human tissue. It ages. My auditory circuits have not degraded, however. I'm old. Not obsolete. I think you hurt his feelings. It doesn't have feelings. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, they've learned <laughs> from, <laughs> from the mistakes of salvation. You know, it's I was kind of excited for Genesis because, you know, when it was first being developed, because it was a chance to start over. It was a chance to start fresh. It was kind of this reboot of the Terminator series, right? But Schwarzenegger was coming back, uh, which he was not in salvation because he was uh, governor of California at the time. So other than the CGI Arnold, they didn't have him. Uh, right. And so with Schwarzenegger coming back, I was like, yes, bring back Arnold. That's what makes the Terminator movies great. Uh, and then the first images from the movie came out, and they were pretty bad. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know if you've ever seen like those like the first look from like Entertainment Weekly or whatever that they did for Terminator Genesis. It's no. one of the funniest first looks of any... Because it's just like, it's Amelia Clark and Sarah Connor and Jai Courtney and like... Um, like Jason Clark and I think I think somebody else and they're all just like pointing their guns like randomly and not looking at where they're pointing and shooting and screaming and it's it, they just look really ridiculous it's great uh, so, I'm gonna have to look that up yeah those images came out and they were pretty rough and then the trailer came out it was not good either uh, and then the movie came out uh, man it was it was just yikes man like I I didn't think there could be a movie worse than Salvation <laughs> and then I saw Genesis and I was like God this is like you know, we, we reviewed Terminator Genesis back in Film Bookcast way back in the day. Um, yeah. And I, I remember, like, thinking it was a pretty close call back then, like, which one was worse, Salvation or Genesis. I was pretty confident that they were two of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life, and I stand by that. Uh, <laughs> they're, like, they're really bad. Um, and Gen Genesis just feels like a movie where everything just fundamentally went wrong on every level. Like, I, I, could, <laughs> I could not tell you what it was about anymore. I don't remember anything about the movie. Um, I feel like I remember it, it involved them jumping back in time to other Terminator movies. The first two, specifically, because those are the only ones they want people to remember. Um, right. <laughs> which is kind of weird, because that's just like what Avengers Endgame did this year, but like a good version of that. Um, <laughs> I remember Amelia Clark and Jai Courtney were severely miscast in the movie. Like, especially, I remember Amelia Clark looked like a child in the movie. In yeah, the movie. I do remember that. Like, she looked like, you know, a teenager cosplaying as Sarah Connor for Comic-Con or something. Like, it just, it did not look good. <laughs> uh, Jason Clark was John Connor in this movie, and he actually was a Terminator. Remember that? Yeah. John Connor? I remember this being the movie that got me to, like, full commit to uh, the Unsullied. Oh, yeah. Thing, because, because they give that away in the trailer that, that he becomes in, a Terminator. Yeah, that twist is in the trailer. And it's not even like, you know, and it's weird because that's actually when Terminator 2 came out, like, the twist that Schwarzenegger was a good guy, that was also in the trailer. <laughs> oh, really? Of the movie. So a lot of people knew that going in, which is a shame because, like, the movie plays it off, like, as a reveal that Arnold is, like, yeah. the good guy. Um so it, it, in, a, in a way, it kind of joins the grand tradition of tr Terminator movies spoiling their twists. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, I remember seeing that in the trailer and being like, why would they show us that? Like, unless this happens really early on in the movie, but it, it happens like halfway through that it's revealed that um, he's a yeah. Terminator the entire time or whatever. So, yeah, very, very strange. Uh, and I remember that 
that could have been like a really interesting story term, but they just it completely whiffed that. Uh, and then I remember I feel like Matt Smith played Skynet or something. Like he was like, do you like? He, yes. He was, his, oh yeah. His voice was in a bunch of computers, and I think they had to smash him, and that was the end of the movie. Or something. like I don't really remember exactly. It's the scene that you love from Winter Soldier when they find. Uh the voice AI on the <laughs> recordings in the bunker. Right. But without the killer line of, uh, <laughs> unfortunately you would be too dead to hear it. Um, yeah. but, yeah, but Genesis is a mess. It's so, it's so fucking bad. I, I think they get caught at the, they, they get caught by the cops at one point and the bad boys theme is playing while they're taking their mud shots. Remember that? <laughs> yes. Uh, it's just stupid. Like it's, it's a movie that was so bad. Like uh, when we reviewed it, when I, when we talked about it in a film book cast, I was like, I'm never seeing another new Terminator movie ever again. Like this, I can't do it anymore. I, I, I'm done with Terminator. Like they fucked it up with Salvation. They fucked it up with Genesis. There's no coming back from these movies. Anyway, uh, let's move on into our review <laughs> of Terminator Dark Fate. <laughs> Talk. Talk fast. You first. My name is Sarah Connor. August 29, 1997. It was supposed to be Judgment Day. But I changed the future. Saved three billion lives. Enough of all right, that was from the trailer for Terminator Dark Fate, the new movie uh, written by David Goyer, Justin Rhodes, and Billy Ray, and directed by Tim Miller, friend of the show. Uh, it stars <laughs> Linda Hamilton, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mackenzie Davis, Natalia Reyes, Gabriel Luna, Diego Boneta, and a few others. Uh, and the IMDb plot synopsis for this movie reads, Sarah Connor and a hybrid cyborg human must protect a young girl from a newly modified liquid Terminator from the future. Uh, which is also the plot of terminator 2 minus the hybrid cyborg human uh yep <laughs> uh anyways like i was saying after terminator genesis i was fucking done man i was i was so no mas. i was checked out of the terminator series i was like all right there were two great terminator movies there was one terminator movie that i like that no one else does uh and then there was terminator sarah Connor chronicles which was a pretty good tv show outside of that salvation and genesis like uh, after those two i can't do this anymore uh so when they started developing dark fate like, I was surprised that that was happening because Genesis performed really badly at the box office. Um, yeah. Like, it completely bombed. Like, nobody expected a sequel after that. Uh, but I think I think it did okay in China, and that's why they ended up developing a new one. And when they started developing this one, they hired friend of the show Tim Miller, who, uh, who you know, I think is fine. <laughs> I, got nothing, yeah. I have nothing against Tim Miller as a director, but he's not somebody who makes me excited to go see a movie. Um, you know, Tim Miller uh, made his directorial debut with Deadpool, um, and we reviewed Deadpool back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I, what I basically said with that movie was I enjoyed a lot of it, but the visual style was just very uninteresting to me. So Terminator movies are mostly about their visual style. Um, so <laughs> so I wasn't super interested when Tim Miller came on board. And then three things happened, Mike. You know, things that, you know, slowly but surely got me back into the folds of Terminator, which was that one, Schwarzenegger was back, which, like, I figured that would happen anyway if they were going to make a Terminator movie. Uh, he would at least, like, make a cameo or something. And that, did, right. that didn't change my mind much. It gave me, like, a little bit more hope. It was like, okay, Schwarzenegger's back, cool. But he was in Genesis, and, like, Genesis was terrible. Uh, two, James Cameron 
returned as a producer, uh, kind of helping to develop the story and uh, taking on a more hands-on role than he has with any of the sequels post-Terminator 2. Um, so that, that, that piqued my interest. Like, it's not like... Uh, if James Cameron came back to direct, I'd be like, fuck yeah, I'm in. Let's do, let's do this. <laughs> right. That, like, that's, all, that's all it would take. But uh, as a producer, as kind of developing some of the story, but leaving most of it to Tim Miller and his team, all right, I'll see. I'll, uh, I'm interested. We'll see what happens. And then three, and I think most importantly, they brought back Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor. <laughs> Fuck yes. And once that happened, I was like, God, I, I think when I read that news, I was like, damn it, I have to see this now. <laughs> like, <laughs> just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Uh, but anyways, what was your hype level going into uh, Terminator Dark Fate like? Uh, I mean, it's kind of just like a curiosity at this point. I feel like I had the similar reaction with you, uh, where I was yeah. like, yeah, okay, sure. Oh, Cameron's back. Interesting. Yeah. Or, like, involved. Oh, fuck, Linda Hamilton's back? Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's that, that Lego sequel bringing back the main heroine like uh, Halloween did. Uh, yes. Jamie Lee Curtis is back, and now I'm fucking hyped. Right. And there's three more of those coming or whatever, which is cool. Or uh, two more. Two more scheduled, but I think they're even saying, like, yeah, there's no way we're going to stop making them. <laughs> yeah. But they even called one of them Halloween Ends, and they're like, that's not going to be the last one. That's going <laughs> to <Yeah>. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's all it takes and uh for dark fate it had the same thing uh, same effect where it got me like i mean i wouldn't say hyped but i was like ready to go see linda hamilton fight robots again right i mean that's, that's kind of where i was like I, I saw the trailers for this movie and i thought it looked okay like i thought the trailers looked fine uh and i but the thing i wanted to see it's like yeah linda hamilton's back i, I gotta go see it like no matter <laughs> no matter what yeah and just pray that it doesn't hurt me the way that uh, salvation and genesis did <laughs> uh and ultimately i think terminator dark fate is fine <laughs> it's it's good yeah. it's good enough it's okay it's it's got some good ideas i think it takes a couple of very big swings with its narrative which i appreciated uh and it introduces a really great new character with uh, Mackenzie davis as grace i think she's great in this movie uh yes. and then hamilton and schwarzenegger are both great in the movie like you, you like you expect schwarzenegger to be great like that he's like right. even in Genesis Schwarzenegger is great because he's Schwarzenegger and he's playing the Terminator. Um, but you know, Hamilton has been a long time since we've seen her on screen in general. Um, but specifically as Sarah Connor, um, she has a voice cameo in salvation at one oh, point. Really? Yeah. There's uh, a couple points in the movie where I think Christian Bale as John Connor is like listening back to old tapes that Sarah Connor left oh, for him. Um, yes. and so that's actually Linda Hamilton's voice doing it, which is pretty cool. But you know, we've seen Amelia Clark play Sarah Connor in the interim, and we've seen Lena Headey play, or I saw Lena Headey play <laughs> Sarah Connor in that interim, which is weird that like both ended up being on Game of Thrones. Um, oh yeah, yeah, actually, and both fight, facing off against each other in the final season of Game of Thrones. Uh, it was the war of the Sarah Connors, really. Uh, <laughs> That's really what it is. <laughs> but you know, it, it was just great to see Linda Hamilton back in this role, doing her thing again, like you said with the Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween thing. Um, but really, I think this movie is more of a, a force awakens type thing. It's, it's a movie that looks and feels like a Terminator movie, um, with a few legacy characters. That's like trying to pass on the franchise to a new generation. Um, yeah, which based on the box office for this weekend probably won't happen. Uh, <laughs> well, but we've said that for the last three that's Terminator true. movies, Terminator movies will continue until morale improves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't, <laughs> we didn't stop judgment day. We only delayed it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, no, this movie did not do well at the box office. I think it made something like $30 million in its opening weekend, uh, yeah. which I believe is about what Genesis made, honestly. Um, and Genesis was largely considered like a flop, and China saved it. This one didn't even do the China business that it was open to. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, or, they'll, yep. or they'll make a fifth Terminator 3, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like this, is, yeah. this is essentially the new Terminator 3. 
which is a shame because the old Terminator 3 was perfectly good, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think especially in hindsight, looking at where the franchise went, Terminator 3 looks just so much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, my reaction for Dark Fate is that, like, it's definitely the third best Terminator movie. Like, okay, you know? so you, you would put it ahead of Terminator 3 is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but only maybe only because I haven't seen it in you know fifteen years or ten, however sure. since it came out. If I saw it recently, maybe it, it deserves a critical reappraisal, much like uh, Speed Racer or something. Uh, yeah. your, your favorite movie. I'm a huge Speed Racer fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, like for me, that's that's where it is. Like it's T2, Terminator, and then I guess Dark Fate, and then all the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> they all exist. <laughs> yeah, and and also those. Um, and also those yeah, yeah no dark fate it's it's solid enough it's a good enough time i think yeah again hamilton schwarzenegger are great i think it occasionally takes some time to take some quieter moments which i appreciate it too uh i also think most of the action is a pretty jumbled mess of like weightless cgi uh yep. and the entire thing sort of feels like fan fiction like fairly fun fan <laughs> fiction but like you know still it's fan fiction <laughs> Uh, yeah. and, and I even say that like knowing that James Cameron had a hand in the story of this movie, uh, which I was like, I, I think I was, re- I was reading an interview with James Cameron and it seemed like, not that he was going to take credit for all the best ideas in the movie, but it seemed like he was like, somebody would be like, Oh, what about this in the movie? And he's like, Oh yeah, well I actually pitched that at the meeting or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and we'll talk about that in spoilers, but it seemed like a lot of the best ideas from this movie probably came from James Cameron, uh, which isn't a huge surprise to me. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, cause I mean, friend of the show, Tim Miller, he's fine. He does his thing, and uh, you know the other screenwriters like David Goyer, I guess, is one of the writers in this. Which, you know, come on, sure. Like, uh, David Goyer, like, like he got latched onto the Nolan Batman movies, and like he got a lot of credit for those. But like, you know, those are really like Nolan, like Chris Nolan and his brother Jonathan Nolan, who wrote, who really wrote those movies. Right. Uh, whereas David S. Goyer, you know, he was there, he was in the room, and he's the guy they asked about like deep comic book shit, <laughs> and he gets credit. Even that, I mean, even that though, I feel like. In interviews, he always seems like he doesn't like comic books that much, but he, he always ends up writing comic book movies. Remember there was like that one interview years ago where he was like, oh, Marsh Manhunter's a fucking pussy or whatever. Like, like, <laughs> something like that. Like, somebody asked him if there would ever be a Martian Manhunter movie, and he's like, fuck no, who cares? Black Hat Silver Sable all the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, where, I just pictured him as like a comic. Silver Sable t-shirt, like with his like, flags, like one that says Black Cat, one that says Silver Sable. Like, it's gonna happen, guys. <laughs> I just pictured him as like the comic book guy in the room with Chris or Nolan (laughs) while they're writing the movie. Uh, Well, actually, Um, but yeah, I mean, Dark Fate, like it's fine, I guess. It's a big dumb action movie. It's got it's got Linda Hamilton and Arnold Schwarzenegger fighting robots. Like Mackenzie Davis is fucking awesome in this. She's Uh, She's really good. And like that's it. Like you know, it, it was it's long as hell though. I think it's like two and a half hours, two hours. Right? I, I think it's two hours and eight minutes. Um, that feels too long. <laughs> I mean, it's shorter than Terminator Two. <laughs> yeah, but Terminator Two is perfection. That's so that true. Doesn't count. That's true, and uh, that's what I was kind of saying about Lewis Brooklyn before. There's a, I, I think James Cameron is a better director than Tim Miller and also Edward Norton. Uh, <laughs> okay, big big if true. Big if but true. Go on. Uh, but J- James Cameron, you know, I think he's. You know, people have derided him for some of his dialogue and stuff like that, which is always very basic, like, and stuff like that. His character types are usually pretty basic, but yeah. dude knows how to tell a propulsive action story. Like, his pacing yeah. fucking rocks. He knows how to t- do, like, his, his scripts are always so tightly constructed, even when, you know, the dialogue is very, like, just kind of simplistic. Uh, and, you know, I think Terminator 2 is a great example of that, where the thing just fucking moves, like, from set piece to set piece, and every set piece means something and all that stuff. Like, the story, the story is told through the action in that yeah. movie. 
um, which is a very difficult thing to do in your action movies. Um, but James Cameron generally manages to pull that off pretty well. Uh, and, you know, he also films really great action sequences, too, which are like the, the freeway chase in Terminator 2. Like one of the all-time great action sequences, uh, and even yeah. and even just like thinking about like True Lies, like the, the whole like horseback chase uh, where it goes in an <laughs> elevator and stuff. It's crazy. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I will say I will argue the first half hour of this movie. I think it's great. Like it's like the first half hour. I think is actually like legit great. I think the way it sets up the new status quo and the first major action sequence on the highway, uh, yeah. they're like top notch. They're really good. Um, I think everything after that is like a little bit of a mixed bag of stuff that's occasionally great. So like, there's occasionally really good stuff throughout the movie, uh, and then occasionally derivative stuff because it is kind of retreading Terminator One and Two um, a lot. Uh, which I don't think like that's one of the things I feel like. You know, like I mentioned before, every Terminator movie runs into this problem where you got to undo the ending of Terminator Two if you want to make a sequel to, to Terminator Two. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even that that freeway sequence or that highway chase in this one is great, but it's like, oh, freeway chase in Terminator Two is better. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like a giant truck chasing down a, a a little pickup truck with everyone crammed in the front. Like, mm, seen it before. It was yeah, better. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Honestly, though, I think if you take the same script, put James Cameron behind the camera, you ha- you'd have something. It, you'd have something here. This, oh yeah. This movie would be incredible. Like this, I, I would be so on board with this movie. Like, I'm very sorry to in front of the show, Tim Miller. Uh, yeah, the we ran out of time. The ideas are there. I think the execution could be better. Is all it is, and that's and that's part of the thing. I feel like you know, whenever you make a Terminator movie, like you're bringing yourself, like you're you're putting yourself up against two of the greatest action movies of all time. Yeah. So it's very tough to follow that up, and that's part of why I think Terminator Three gets uh, hated on so much. In the same way that uh, Spider Man Three gets hated on so much because it's coming <laughs> after you know because uh, <laughs> you know I'll bring up I'll I'll use any opportunity to defend Spider Man Three. Um, True. You know, it's coming after two of the best superhero movies ever. So it's like, well, Spider-Man 3, it's, you know, it's still pretty good. But, like, people just hate it because it's not as good as the first two Spider-Man movies. Uh, yeah. What did you think of uh, the new new Liquid Terminator in, in Dark Fate? I thought it was pretty cool. He was uh, It was pretty cool. I like I liked the design of it. I thought the idea of him being able to create, like, a second version of himself uh, yeah. was a pretty neat idea. Um, and I think it's utilized pretty well. Like, it's introduced really well. And that's part of what I like about... The act, that first action sequence is it's it's really just showing you all the stuff in the world through the action like all the stuff when he reveals I mean that that is in the trailer when he does the um the uh, the turn into the second person thing on the truck yeah um, and so you know it wasn't a surprise to me when it happened but there were people in my theater who I guess hadn't seen the trailer and they're like oh man like that's crazy uh, which I don't know how they <laughs> knew the movie was coming out if they hadn't seen the trailer but that's <laughs> whatever actually just wanted to quickly mention I have one of the worst audience experiences of my entire life watching same <laughs> did you really let's never do another terminator movie <laughs> uh let me uh run down what happened with this movie so i got i got there in the theater it's completely off topic from the actual movie but I got there in the theater about 20 minutes before the movie started because i was going to the amc dine-in theater and I, I, I like to get there like 20 minutes early so that i can sit down i can order and then my food will get there by the time the trailers arrive or by the time the trailers start it's a pretty good nice. system i got going uh when i got to the theater there were only two people there in the theater and they happen to be sitting right next to my seat which it's it's a, it's a science seating theater um, okay so you know i they were sitting right next to my seat but they're like the only two people there and the theater was basically empty and i was like all right you know what i'm gonna go up to that area but i'm gonna sit one seat over from my assigned seat because i figure you know if the person who sit is supposed to sit here ends up coming up i'll just move whatever uh because because yeah. I, I figure you know i'm here 20 minutes early uh, you know, the theater will fill out a little bit more and it won't be as awkward. I felt like it would just be awkward if like I was sitting there next to the, like two people and we're the only ones in the theater. Um, yeah. so they, 
show up, the waiter shows up, I take my order and stuff. That guy, it's clear he's going to be a problem. Like, <laughs> like Oh, no. He, like, he's messing with his chair and he's cursing at it because he can't, like, get the recliner to work the entire... And he does that the entire movie. Like, he's like uh. he's, he's yelling at his chair the entire time. He's like, fucking, fucking shit. Uh, but I have that buffer seat in between him, so I'm like, oh, that's fine. And they're, and I, the, I'm thinking the theater, like, I'm looking at the, uh, the app and seeing how... Like, how many seats are being sold, and it's looking like it's not even going to be half full, so I'm like, I'm probably okay where I am. Uh, so I have the buffer seat, it's whatever. Uh, the trailers start, I get my food, my mac and cheese, very excited to eat it, I'm sitting down, nice. I'm, and the trailers are going, and they're going, and they're going on for like 20, 25 minutes because it's an AMC. This, this group comes in, like this group of like three people, uh, and they show up, it's the last trailer. Like, the movie's about uh-huh. to start. Like, <laughs> literally, it's the last trailer, and they show up, and somebody comes up to me and is like, hey you're in my seat, could you move? And I looked over, the entire row next to me is empty. Like, it's yeah, <laughs> it's completely empty. Like there's, like, there's probably, like, ten seats that are next to me that they could just easily sit down in. Like, I, like, they're acting as if I'm causing a huge disturbance by sitting in their seat, right. but there's, like, a million seats they could sit down in right there, like, just one over. Uh, but I'm like, I'm not gonna complain about it. I'm like, I get it. Like, I'm sitting in your seat, whatever. So, I pick up my mac and cheese, I pick up my coat, I, I pick up, like, a bunch of things... <laughs> Mm-hmm. move into the seat uh that my previous buffer seat where the guy who was yelling at his chair had been using as his own like trash uh area jesus christ <laughs> like he had his beer on the thing and everything like that and i was like i'm sorry man and I was like oh fucking shit uh, <laughs> and, uh and so after that whole thing went down the waiter comes over and that he takes the order very loudly of the people next to me while the movie is starting <laughs> jesus christ uh, and then about five minutes after the movie starts uh it stops <laughs> What? The movie stops because it was slightly out of frame. Uh, so they actually stopped the movie and had to, like, rewind it so they can, like, reframe it. Um, yeah. And then, you know, so they actually, like, they have, to, they have to do all that. And then when they finally restart it, because it, like it takes, like, ten minutes where nothing's happening. Right. They start it, and it's still out of frame. Like, it's... <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. The movie's still out of frame, and the rest of the movie continues that way. Uh, so, yeah, it was a, it was a rough experience uh, watching Terminator Dark Fate. Uh in the theater with this audience but uh you know even even despite all that to give it credit i had an okay time with dark <laughs> with dark fate wow so that mine was nowhere near that awful yeah uh <laughs> yeah it was just like these kids in the back row of uh, this family like young kids like maybe around as old as like 10 like when we like when we first saw you know our first terminator movies uh but just like talking full volume, oh, yeah. like full, it, like <laughs> living room, we're home, like during the trailers. And I was like, okay, maybe, you know, everyone kind of does that. Like after the trailer, like, oh, that looks pretty good. Like, oh, you know, sure. like when you're with people, like, oh, I want to see that. And like, okay, like, all right, fine. But then like just the whole movie, like, oh, she said that. Like, oh man, wow, that's crazy. Like full volume talking the whole time. Yeah. Uh, so like, let's not do this anymore. It's <laughs> <laughs> never seen another Terminator. Terminator movie. Never seen another Terminator movie again, which based on the box office, who knows? Maybe we won't. Um, <laughs> Maybe we won't. <laughs> uh, but that said, you know, I think this movie, you know, I'm actually okay with there not being any more Terminator movies after this. I feel like it, it leaves it open for there to be more, but at the same time, it ends on a fairly definitive note again. So it, feel, it feels like... <laughs> like every other Terminator movie, right. it ends in a really good spot to never make another one. <laughs> yeah. And they should just take that spot and be like, all right, we did what we set out to do. We're done. Terminator Dark yep. Fate. Good night, everybody. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I, I think we've pretty much made our feelings clear on the movie and also our audience. Um, so, <laughs> But Terminator Dark Fate, 
it's decent enough, basically, right? It's it's yeah, an okay. It's song. fine, especially I mean, especially after Salvation and Genesis, it feels like Citizen Kane. You know, it feels like <laughs> it feels it feels like the, the second coming of Terminator movies uh, after like the real real train wrecks that those movies were. So yeah, Dark Fate, fine enough, decent enough, uh, and we're gonna get into some spoilery stuff right now for Terminator Dark Fate. All right, spoilers for Terminator Dark Fate starting right now. So right off the bat, Mike, uh, this movie got my attention with a pretty huge swing. Um, and I think a pretty successful one, which is that they kill John Connor in the first three minutes of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, which, uh, like, they use, like, they have, like, a flashback with, like, a CGI de-aged uh, Linda Hamilton, Schwarzenegger, and Edward Furlong. Uh, which, which is weird. Was, like, crazy to see, like, 13-year-old Edward Furlong on screen again. But it takes place in 1998, which is a year after... The, um, the apocalypse was supposed to happen. Uh, and right. yet, a Terminator comes through time. Arnold Schwarzenegger kills John Connor in cold blood and then walks away. Uh, and that fucking blew my mind. I, I was not even... I, I guess I should have expected something like that because John Connor's not in the trailers for this movie. <laughs> yeah. And, I was, and I, it never occurred to me to be like, oh yeah, well, where's John Connor if Sarah Connor's in the movie? <laughs> but yeah, they kill John Connor first three minutes of the movie. It's a very Alien 3 move, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is what they do at the beginning of Alien Three—they kill off Newton Hicks, um, right? But uh, I think it works. I think I think it actually really works for this movie. Um, like I was, I was shocked when it happened. Like it really, it, it sets the tone for like a completely different status quo than what I thought this movie was going to have. Uh, and so I appreciated it for that reason. But yeah, what do you think of the whole the murder of John Connor in the first couple minutes of Terminator? Yeah, Perfect? I was uh, I was honestly shocked. I don't know why. Just this the moment when. Um... John Connor turns around like because he's at the bar like talking to somebody right. and I was like oh that's how they're gonna like not show him and then he actually turns around and I was like oh fuck it's actually it's the kid it looks just like him that's crazy yeah it's so weird and then uh you know de-aged Arnold walks up and blows him away which was fucking awesome yeah I was like not expecting it uh it was crazy. I feel like it creates this weird plot hole thing, or like, but who cares? Timey wimey, wibbly wobbly. <laughs> well, I think the uh, the idea is that even though the apocalypse was prevented, um, Skynet back in the day um, sent out a bunch of Terminators at different time periods throughout John Connor's life to um, right. to kill him. Uh, which which I liked because that's one of those things where it's like I always wondered why Skynet didn't do that. You know, <laughs> you know? like why not try like send a Terminator back to when John's a baby and kill him then or something like that or like like that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, so to me, it made like that made sense, and the idea that I think I had to like I had to take some time to compartmentalize that in my head. But I guess because they sent those Terminators back in time before the apocalypse was prevented, it, they were still there. They they were still there being sent back in time. So yeah, it's it's a weird time. It's, it honestly reminded me a lot of the time travel logic of Avengers Endgame, where it's like you know even yeah. even though you're changing something about the past or the future, like the the things that happened in that future's past or whatever still happened and. All that, all that shit. Like it's it, it, it's it's one of those things. Like if you're gonna discuss a Terminator movie, you kind of just got to go with whatever time travel shit they're gonna throw. At yeah. <laughs> Nobody really gives a shit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I thought that whole sequence was great. I mean, it starts off with um the speech that uh, Sarah Connor gives to uh, uh Doctor Silverling in Terminator Two. Um. And it was one of those things. Where it was like, man, remember how good Terminator Two was? Fuck, dude. Yeah. And then she puts the Drano in his neck. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. You're gonna be wearing a million SPF sunscreen. Everybody's gonna be feeling like a pretty fucking bad day or whatever. It's great um but uh yeah. yeah i mean that's one of the other best scenes in terminator 2 the vision of the judgment day oh yeah uh, it's so good she gets blown away all the skin gets blown away yeah i think matt solar sites um a film critic who i like a lot uh, he um tweeted something a while back about like the best like asking people like the best usage of miniatures in movies 
mm. like very small sets, like toys and stuff like that. That's made to look like big things. And yeah. a lot of people tweeted like the GIF of uh, that Judgment Day sequence where you see like the flames going through and it's like the trucks and stuff being overturned. And I like I guess because I saw the movie at, at a very young age, I never even thought that that was like a miniature. I thought that was like yeah, I, like I, it's never occurred to me that those were like tiny little toy trucks being like pushed over. <laughs> And then rewatching it, like rewatching it now, I was like, "Oh yeah, I could see that now." But it's like one of those things. Like, <laughs> while it's happening, you don't even realize because it's just so quick and so cool. Um, but yeah, that Judgment Day sequence, man, no, it's so good. None of that happens in Dark Fate, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's all CGI, man, in Dark Fate. But, yeah, uh, everything CGI in this, which is like unfortunate. Which is a shame. Again, I mean, Terminator Two pioneered CGI for a generation of filmmakers, uh, but it was using it very sparingly and only for like one real effect, which was the liquid metal stuff. Uh, you know, and there's some other CGI here and there, but that's like the main thing. Uh, and even Terminator Three, I feel like had mostly practical stuff going on. I mean, it's been it's been a long time since I've seen it. I might be completely wrong about that, um, but I feel like a lot of the action sequences were like actually staged and things like that. Uh, and yeah. I think Dark Fate has some of that stuff going on. Like there are actual action sequence type things happening, but there's a lot more CGI than I think I would want to see uh, in this kind of movie. Um, but from that point on, after the John Connor death, you, know, you you go through like Diego Luna and Mackenzie Davis showing up from the future into the past, uh, and everything with them, and through the stuff at the factory, and then the freeway chase, and then that ultimately leads into Linda Hamilton's reintroduction to the movie. It's fucking in. Like I, I thought that that yeah. whole half hour of the movie, fucking great. Like I, I was really into that stuff. It was really cool, interesting, like stakes, I guess. Uh, like the whole like thing with uh, the two Terminators, or. Well, the cyborg and the Terminator, like infiltrating the factory and like that whole thing, right. and like the fun, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we're being replaced by robots, uh, kind yes. of thing. The little mini plot line that's happening at the factory <laughs> uh, was fun, and then the, the the chase scene on the highway is really cool. Uh, Mackenzie Davis, like I said, is just a fucking badass. She's so cool, right? And yeah, I mean, it's good. That whole first act is dope. Yeah, I mean, it's re- it's really really cool. And again, it tells it basically tells you the story through. The action, like it shows you, like oh, this, like she is sort of a Terminator, but sort of not. Like she's clearly like more human than Terminators, but you're kind of figuring out what's going on with her as the action is developing, and you know you get the sequence with the T1000 or whatever it is in this movie. I forget what it's called, uh, or the Rev9. I think it's what its, it's name was. Yes, in the movie. Yeah. It, like it's sort of a liquid metal Terminator that does the double Terminator deal, and you know does all that through the action, which is cool. Uh, and then after that, it runs into the same problem that. They all do, which is they have to undo Terminator 2's ending. So, you know, <laughs> uh, in this movie, even though Skynet was destroyed, it never launches, a different AI gets created eventually called Legion, uh, which is this movie's The First Order from The first from the Force Awakens. Uh, yeah, which... I mean, that's the most basic, like, what do we call this AI name that's, like, in control of, like, hive mind stuff? I don't know, Legion? Yeah. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. all right. Yeah, when I, when I heard the name Legion, I, was, I had a flashback to Ghost Rider. Um, <laughs> my, uh, yes. my name is Legion, <laughs> for we are many. West Bentley, good shit. Um, <laughs> yep, yeah. Uh, but anyway, what I, what I mean by it's this, this, this movie's The First Order, it's just, it's the same thing as Skynet. Uh, whereas the first, like, the first order is the same thing as the Empire, you know? It's like, it's it's basically the same, uh, you know, because it's basically, this movie is the Force Awakens of Terminator movies. It's just, it's just kind of redoing Terminator 1 and 2. <laughs> But yeah. with a new skin, maybe a little bit more diverse and that kind of thing. And, you know, so Legion goes live, I think in like 2040 is when they establish it. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then essentially the same stuff happens. You know, nuclear Holocaust, uh, the survivors form of human resistance. Uh, the movie plays it as if Natalia Reyes's character, Danny, is the mother of the future leader of humanity, like Sarah Connor, until it reveals that actually she is the leader, which is one of the most obvious reveals I've seen in the movie in a while. <laughs> Never saw that coming. Yeah, so uh, that that was something. And then also Legion is still making Terminators that look the same as Skynets for some reason. Are they, though? Yeah, oh, well, the yeah. Rev Nine, the Rev Nine, and stuff like that, like the, the, the Terminators. They're, ba- I mean, I guess they don't look exactly the same as Skynets, but like they show you the future and the, the, ex- the same exoskeleton, um, yeah. killing that one kid. Remember, remember in like the future bit. Um, remember? Or was that, in Ter- uh, was that in Terminator Two? I might be I might mixing that up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it definitely it starts at the very beginning uh, with the same Terminator bits, and then like it it like wipes to the beach to be like the present 1998. Right. Uh, so I think they, they look like sort of different, but like, you know, skeletons are the same shape. Yeah. The skeletons yeah, the are the skeleton. same. I think they have like little like octopus tentacles or something. They're shit. darker like, metal or whatever. Yeah. They're all like basically the same. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's, it's retreading the first two movies pretty heavily uh, in the guise of something new, much like force Awakens does. Uh, I think force Awakens does a better job of it. Uh, you know, I, I have criticized force Awakens for that in the past, but I think force Awakens is still a really fun movie. Um, and I like that movie more than Dark Fate, um, partially because I think J.J. Abrams is a better filmmaker than friend of the show, Tim Miller. Uh, <laughs> I, I I hate having... To, like Tim Miller, he's fine. I got nothing against him. I, yeah. I, I just keep... Like, I remember when De- when uh, the news came that he, he left Deadpool, and a lot of people were upset about it, because they were like, oh man, how could they lose Tim Miller and Deadpool? And I was like, yeah, bring on somebody good. <laughs> like, bring, <laughs> Thank God. Bring on somebody good. And David Leach came on, and I think Deadpool 2 is better than the first Deadpool, but... You know, that's just me. But anyway, uh, you know, uh, what, what I also like about this movie, I think it, it does kind of update some of the stuff here and there. Like in Terminator 2, when James Cameron needed to create like a guise for his unstoppable killing machine uh, of evil and death, uh, he settled on a police officer in L.A. in the 90s. Uh, and in 2019, that that villain takes on the form of a border patrol agent, uh, which, you know, I thought that was a cool kind of bit of social commentary yeah. and like a way to uh, kind of bring that in. And I, I feel like that bringing that aspect of the movie in actually really strengthened movie as a whole i think the stuff at the border patrol stuff it's fine it's whatever but i think just you just using that aspect of it and like making him be that uh figure i thought that was pretty cool there's even like that one bit where um he says to one of the other border patrols like where are the other prisoners it's like they're called detainees but (laughs) yeah like that kind of thing and it's like oh okay some some commentary going on like neat (laughs) neat yeah 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 that that felt a whole a bit forced uh i mean i liked the bit where the the rev nine is the guise of a border patrol agent like i like i think you said that's a really cool interesting update to that uh thing like from t2 but just like having a whole action set piece set at a border patrol detention facility felt very weird without like much social commentary like from that aspect yeah i mean and i think it i I think it ultimately works i think it's like it's not really interested in like making a super big commentary on it but i think it is sort of trying to, like, and maybe I'm just putting this on with the movie, but it's, like, emphasizing the futility of all this anyway because humanity humanity is going to be wiped out in 20 years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting, um, like, moment, I guess, in... Oh, my God, I forget the character's name. The the main character. Uh, Danny. Danny, Danny, yeah. Danny, like, like, her character arc where, like, she sees, like, you know, humanity dividing themselves, uh, but ultimately she's the one that has to bring us together in the future to fight the machines, like, that kind of thing. Uh, so like yeah sure I guess Go ahead. score one Tim Miller yeah it's solid I mean well or the writers or whoever it was but or the writers the, 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 the team the one of, of nine of them the, the, the team of eighteen million writers that uh, 
came together with the Terminator Dark Fate. I like to imagine one person just kept... I like to imagine that in that team of nine writers, I mean, three of them are credited for the screenplay, three of them are credited for the story and stuff like that, but I like to yeah. imagine they were all in one room and they each pitched, like, a sentence, like, at a time. <laughs> like It's just an improv game. Yeah. Like, David Goyer was like, all right, and the Terminator says this, and then, like, the next person just says, like, and Sarah Connor says this, and this kept... And it keep going yes. like that, and that's how they wrote the script of the movie. Uh, yeah, and every time there's a decent idea, that's when James Cameron popped into the room for a second. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what what was the bit they asked him in the interview uh, you were going to mention? Oh, the the um, the fact that John Connor died. Um, oh, yeah, John, like John Connor dying in the beginning—that was James Cameron's idea, apparently. Um, which Interesting. I, which is surprising because I mean, you would think as the director of Terminator One and Two, he would have the most attachment to John Connor as a character. Um, but I think his thoughts, which echo my thoughts actually about the whole situation, is that we've seen several movies about John Connor. Uh, over the last few years, none of them have been good. Let's, <laughs> or two of them have been good, and one of them was underrated. Uh, let's, yep. <laughs> let's uh, just get rid of that entirely. Like, we, like we've explored so many different uh, avenues for John Connor to go down, um, but we haven't really explored Sarah Connor post T two outside of Terminator Genesis, which was bad. So, <laughs> right, and that was I feel like that was more of a John Connor movie anyway because it was about John Connor actually being a Terminator and some shit. Uh, yeah. I mean that that movie wasn't about anything. It was just a mess. Uh, but you know, so I, it was actually his idea to kill off John Connor in the first couple minutes of the movie, uh, and then have the movie really be about Sarah Connor. And apparent, but apparently, when he pitched it to the room, when he said it to the, uh, everybody was kind of like, "Yeah, no, that's a good idea. Like that's <laughs> that's solid. <laughs> uh, like nobody was against the idea of killing John Connor." Um, and I think Tim Miller actually uh, was talking about it too, and he was saying like, "Yeah, you know, Sarah Connor as a character is more interesting when she's dealing with tragedy," um, and so we kind of had to give that to her i guess in this movie because in the in terminator 2 it seems like you know they're just gonna go off and live happily ever after uh and you know it, it, you need you need to ha- you need to have sarah experience some kind of loss i guess in order to make her a more interesting character sure which i i, she's, I, I can get behind that i can see it um, yeah she's already like one of the most traumatized uh <laughs> film characters <laughs> ever why not do some more yeah why not and i think more yeah, and she Linda Hamilton is so fucking badass in this movie. She's great. Yeah, I just want to hear Linda Hamilton say "fuck" for two hours because uh, that's basically <laughs> what this movie is. Is that so much to ask? Which uh, also yeah. uh, another thing I appreciate about Dark Fate it's the return of the R-rated Terminator movie. Uh, yes, which Salvation and Genesis were both PG thirteen, and it shows. It's <laughs> they both just feel so sanitized compared to the original Terminator movies, which you know are big. Like they're not like super explicit movies. Like they're casually like there's language in them, but there's like casual action movie language. You know whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know there's not a ton of nudity in the movies either. I think there's like I think you see a boob in the first Terminator or something like that, <laughs> and then um, during the sex scene with um, Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese. Uh, right. I, I don't think there's any nudity in Terminator Two, and I don't think there's any of this. Like it's just you know it's a it's mostly just for action and language and stuff like that. Uh, which right. which is actually how I convinced my parents to let me watch them when I was ten. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's not there's no sex or anything it's just you know it's people getting their heads blown off it's fine it's just violence yeah, yeah. america's so messed up but anyway uh, yeah, anyway <laughs> uh but the, this movie's narrative does hinge on a couple of different reveals that it telegraphs pretty heavily uh one of which we kind of referred to that danny is actually the um leader in the future of humanity um even though the movie leads you to believe oh she's actually the mother like sarah connor was or whatever um but that wouldn't fly in 2019 in this super woke society where we got to have like the female character yeah. be the leader and the badass, uh, which is fine. I mean, Dan- Danny's cool in the movie. I like her enough. Like she's not as cool as Mackenzie uh, Davis no. in the movie. Like or Mackenzie Davis is great in the movie, um, but Danny's cool enough. And then the other big reveal in the movie is uh, that the one texting Sarah Connor is actually Schwarzenegger. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, if we didn't know he was in the movie, that would have been a cool reveal. Yes. But everyone knew he was in it, so I was like, well, I wonder who that is. Right, exactly. Like, it's one of those things where as soon as she says it, it's like, it's got to be Schwarzenegger. Like, it's got to be it, the T-800 who killed John Connor, kind of like, you know, that kind of thing. And at, yeah. and that is what it is, but I like that a lot in this movie, actually. His role in this movie, I think, is really interesting. Um, yeah, because for it, sure. It's a lot smaller than usual. You know, he doesn't show up until halfway through the movie. Um, but he's great when he's there because he's Schwarzenegger playing Terminator, which is also always great. But, you know, he, he's the Terminator that accomplished its mission of killing John yeah. Connor, which we've never seen before <laughs> in these movies. Uh, and I, apparently this was also a James Cameron thing. Like that he kind of threw the idea out there that, um, you know, what exploring what a Terminator does once it finishes its mission. Uh, and so he had no further orders to fall back on. So now what? He can't go back to the future because, A, forward time travel doesn't exist. That's pretty established in these movies. Uh, and B, that future doesn't exist anymore anyway. <laughs> so right. couldn't go back if he wanted to. Uh, so it, this Terminator spends 20 years just living among the humans, uh, finding a family, uh, growing a sort of conscience, and also selling drapes. It's a, it's a big <laughs> yeah. deal. Uh, so yeah, I, I think Arnold really uh, does a great job with that. He has a, very, a couple of very funny lines. There's one moment where he's, you know, they're talking about how is, how, how is your family never noticed that you're this metal machine that weighs like 400 pounds? And he's like, uh, we don't have a physical relationship, and also I'm very funny, or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Like it's you know, it's funny stuff, and he has a couple of good lines that he sells really well. Uh, and it's just a, it's cool to see Arnold playing this version of the Terminator, which feels like kind of a natural extension of what the Terminator in Terminator Two is going through, where he's like slowly finding humanity throughout that movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know now why you cry, <laughs> but that's yeah. just something I can never do. Like, yeah, uh, it's it feels like that line kind of brought um, to its fullest conclusion i guess yeah there's even sort of an echo uh, of that when danny asks him do you love like your new family and he says like not the way a, a, a human can or something like that like there's yeah. sort of like a th- moment like that uh there's a lot of stuff like that i think in this movie he, he, beca- <laughs> he becomes like a tragic figure i, I think which yeah i really liked actually yeah there's another you know s- Arnold the Terminator sacrifice, which is always uh, heart wrenching. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. not, I don't think it's as as effective in this one. If I knew it was for sure the last movie, it might have been more impactful. Right? Yeah. If it was the last movie, or if we knew, like, even if there were more, like, this is the last time we'll ever see Schwarzenegger in the role. Uh, yeah. Which I guess, I mean, maybe it could. Like the way they write it, like, there's no more mm. T800s coming back unless Skynet sent even more Terminators to. <laughs> to the past well i mean like uh, they always can say they did yeah exactly like there's always like weird time travel stuff they can just toss in there and make that like make it so Schwarzenegger can come back whatever um but i think a sacrifice like mainly works in the movie it's fine it's not nearly as good as terminator 2 but like you know what is no uh uh, but i I think what actually is way more effective is mackenzie davis sacrificing herself um yeah who i mean mackenzie davis we talk about she's a human that's been cybernetically advanced so she's like half human half terminator or whatever um, yeah she's been augmented augmented yeah so she's a human but she has like robotic abilities and things like that which is a cool idea and actually also it's an idea that was introduced in salvation um right that was sam worthington's character i think where he like is a human who becomes a terminator or something like that and i guess also genesis with john connor being a terminator and so, or some shit like <laughs> i don't know genesis is so bad man i feel like we should like i never want to watch genesis ever again in my life but if i were to watch it again i think we should do like a live commentary where we're drinking the entire time i think that would be great <laughs> amazing um but yeah so that's an idea that's in salvation and but it's i think more fully explored in this movie about what that actually means and Mackenzie Davis's character Grace actually has a full arc in the movie and I was surprised that it had the balls to kill her off at the end actually yeah for sure you know like a modern franchise movie doesn't do that you got to save those characters for sequels man uh and yeah it just kills off Mackenzie Davis and you know again this is the Terminator 
anything could happen. They could find some weird <laughs> time travel nonsense to explain how Mackenzie Davis comes back in the next one if they were to make a next one. Um, but she actually, like, like, she finishes her arc in this movie, which I appreciated. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I did actually, uh, like, the reveal that Danny is the leader actually is, like, telegraphed from a mile away. Yeah. But the the other reveal that goes along with that, that she is the one that saved young Grace, like, from the evil humans that were going to kill her sure. for her food. Yeah. And, like, took her under her wing and stuff. Like, that, like, emotional arc, uh, I think, kind of worked. Um, and then, especially at the end, when Danny has to kill Grace to kill the thing and the other Terminator, and then... Danny goes to see Grace like playing on the playground and stuff. Right. It's like I'm gonna come save you in ten years or whatever. Right. Uh, <laughs> was pre- I mean, she doesn't say that, but um, <laughs> it has that kind of moment. Pretty, which is pretty I'm, cool. I'm pretty sure that line is in Terminator Genesis, actually, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I think her death actually makes the end of the movie feel impactful. Like it feels like it has weight, um, which is not something I can say for like 95 percent of blockbusters being made today. Um, yeah for sure and so that, that puts like a nice capper on the movie and it makes it feel like a more logical end point for the movie too like if that you know having sarah connor and danny kind of drive off into the distance and getting prepared for the future like yeah you can make more movies out of that or you can just end it off there and be like all right that's it that's it. <laughs> like and i think that would be a nice image to end the movie on you know like everybody's arc in the movie is complete like sarah connor finds a renewed purpose Danny um, discovers that she's the savior of humanity and Mackenzie Davis um, kind of becomes full circle and, you know, she saves the leader of humanity and sacrifices herself. Schwarzenegger's gone. Like, just end. End the series. Like, it can be God done. God damn it. Just uh, every time. I, I think this series is over and they bring another one back. Dark Fate ends in a solid place. You can stop it. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and hopefully, thanks to the box office this weekend, like, I, I never celebrate when, like, a movie that I like doesn't do well at the box office i think in this case i might a little bit just because like they <laughs> just because they like th- that might discourage them from making more right <laughs> right yeah so yeah, yeah I, th- I had the same exact reaction honestly it yeah. was like okay you ended it in a good enough spot right the movie is good enough like you did a good movie finally uh after trying for so long yeah just like just let it go I, like, I want i want the series not to end on a complete embarrassment like salvation of genesis you know i want this to right. be the last exactly one. <laughs> uh like this is a solid enough ending for the series if it were to end here so hopefully it does um but we'll see what happens and you know the ending is like a big cgi battle a lot of stuff happening i'm like it, I, I feel like that's like the most weightless of the action scenes where like the whole the, the whole climax of the movie uh actually i remember thinking like in my head like man they're, they're they're putting together a lot of fast and furious set pieces from this, <laughs> this action for sequence. sure though there's like the whole scene like where they're on the runway from fast and furious 6 and then they're dropping a car out of an airplane like in furious 7 and i'm like man this, oh. what's going on here there is um, actually two moments uh that that just reminded me i wanted to mention that yeah. felt like jurassic park references okay <laughs> uh one is when they're discussing their uh and this is probably just me like uh in my brain connecting jurassic park and terminator 2 permanently forever sure. uh as being the two movies i watched all the time and twister uh but when they're discussing their plan and they're like oh yeah we'll use danny as bait and grace is like we're not just gonna leave her out there chained up like a goat it's like that's a weird that's what they bait the t-rex with like that's a weird animal to pick yeah and then all I can think of is uh, when they drop the the Humvee out of the plane and it gets stuck on the dam and then it like falls in the water and stuff. Oh yeah. All I can think of was the the jeep stuck in the tree. Uh, That's weird. Scene. That's weird because I thought of um, Indiana Jones four actually, where they're dropping oh. 
<laughs> where they're dropping what? the jeep. There's a scene in the End Jones Four where they're dropping the jeep down a waterfall. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> At least we're out of the tree. Yeah. Is all I kept thinking the whole time. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Terminator Dark Fate. It's uh, it's good enough. It's fine. It's, it's fine. It's, yeah. so, it's solid enough. Some okay action sequences. Again, that first half hour, very, very good. Uh, yeah. And you know, it takes uh, some solid swings of the story that I appreciated. Linda Hamilton back as Sarah Connor. Like you got to go just for that alone. Uh, and Schwarzenegger as Terminator. Like how can you miss out on that too? He's always great. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that about wraps up our review of Terminator Dark Fate, Mike. Do you have any other final thoughts you want to get out there? No, no. It's like, it's fine enough. Like, it's good, you know? It's yeah. just like a big, dumb action movie. It's killer robots, Linda Hamilton saying fuck. Right. Uh, and some cool sci-fi like, ideas that does introduce to the franchise, which I appreciated. Like, yeah, sure, I guess. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> still, still, though, hashtag justice for Terminator 3. Uh, one of these days, people will know. Wow. People will remember. Spicy. Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Better movie than uh, people give it credit for. Uh, caveat haven't seen it in like 12 years uh so who knows if it's still good or i'm just like remembering from back then but I like... for your discussions on the next episode you have to use terminator 3. <laughs> i might i might re- i'm getting my uh wisdom teeth replaced uh this or not replaced replaced, <laughs> not replaced. uh ripped out of my uh mouth <laughs> okay that I'm makes more sense getting my wisdom teeth out this weekend on friday uh so i'm gonna have the entire weekend to just sit at my house and recover and heal uh, so I'll be watching a lot of movies. Uh, maybe I'll make Terminator Three one of them just to uh, yes. just, just to refresh my memory. We'll see what happens. Um, but anyway, yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. Terminator Dark Fate. It's fine. Go check it out if you want to. If not, who cares? Um, <laughs> <laughs> friend of the show, Tim Miller. Please be on the podcast at some point. Uh, <laughs> if anyone knows Tim Miller, don't <laughs> don't send us to him. No, absolutely not. Uh, Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and uh, MD Film Blog on Letterboxd. And you can find me at M Smith Film Blog on Twitter and Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram, and all of our podcasts and stuff over at uh, Rapture Press, which you can also find the Review Zoo over there, a podcast about all kinds of geek news and stuff. Uh, so thank you for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike DeCrescio. Uh Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. If you want to contact us, hit us up at Mike Mike Go to the Movies at gmail.com. On the next Mike and Mike, we will be talking Mike Flanagan's attempt to craft a sequel to an all-time horror classic, Mike. Uh, Dr. Sleep is hitting theaters, the sequel to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Uh, Interesting. It's a, it's a bold task for any filmmaker to uh, follow up The Shining. Uh, but Mike Flanagan is a really great horror, ma- uh, horror filmmaker. Um, he, of course, did uh, Ouija Origin of Evil, which is way better than... Uh, it should have been. Uh, it's the Terminator 3 of Ouija movies. Uh, I think it ended up uh, high on the, the list on the Screen Drafts episode of horror prequels. Oh, uh, did it? Yeah. I mean, it's, I it, think so, it's yeah. It's so ridiculous. Like, the first Ouija is unwatchable. Like, I, I think I watched, like, a ha- <laughs> I think I watched, like, a half hour of Ouija and turns off. I couldn't do it. Uh, Ouija Origin of Evil is great. It's so good. Um, That's awesome. But Mike Flanagan also made Hush, which is on Netflix right now. He made Gerald's Game, also on Netflix. Um, and he also did uh, The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, the TV series, which I have not watched yet. Right. Uh, but I've heard nothing but great things about that. So, yeah, Dr. Sleep, I'm actually really excited about that. Buzz has been pretty good. Uh, and it's, it's really just it's a monumental task for any filmmaker to follow up uh, Stanley Kubrick with The Shining. And I'm not saying Mike Flanagan is as good a filmmaker as Stanley Kubrick by any means, but I think him being attached to this movie is a more interesting choice than most. So uh, yeah. looking forward to seeing Dr. Sleep. Uh, plus, you can keep an eye out for the next Complete Works, which will see uh, Nicolas Cage in full cage assance mode uh, with 2018's Mandy. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, revisiting Mandy. 
We finally made it. We finally made it. We can just shut down the podcast. Who cares? After that? <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a shit? We did it. We only got a couple movies left. Let's just cut it down early. <laughs> uh, actually, it's been, it's been funny. Like I, we, I was thinking, that, like maybe we should just wrap up like at the end of 2018. Like we'll cut off right there. I know there's a couple of 2019 movies, but now I'm seeing like, like I feel like five or six more 2019 movies have just like popped up out of nowhere uh, for Nicolas Cage's filmography, and like some of them are on Amazon Prime and stuff like that. And I'm like, maybe we should Fuck. do those too. I don't. <laughs> uh, so the, the point is this podcast will never actually be over for every movie review Nicolas Cage will come out with two more <laughs> it's basically, yeah, basically how it's going to work uh, alright and that's the end of this week's episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies we'll see you on the other side Mike and Mike go to the